The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is the returning Ken Susi of Esle Dying, uh, X on Earth, of the band Swivel, of USA, USA, USA. Uh, apparently, uh, Sweatpant Boners is coming back, uh, for those that may remember that, uh, if you were more local to the Boston area, but this was uh, a chat actually I've been trying to get to happen for a long time. Uh, Ken and I, actually with the last couple of episodes, it's funny, the plan for leading up to episode 400 was actually to do kind of what Oprah had called like her favorite things uh, around the holidays. She always does like my favorite things and then gives the gifts away to people and so forth. And I had kind of wanted to do something similar leading up to 400 where it's like the the five episodes before were going to be like my favorite people, like my favorite guests. And I had approached most of the people between Andrew and Ken and some others that I had reached out to and they were all like, yeah, let's do it. And it just timing didn't work <laughs> to do it and make it happen. Uh, but ironically, it's almost been the flip side of it, where on the opposite side of uh, 400, we are now kind of getting into these people with Andrew from uh, Idola and now Ken. And it's funny because there's there's such a a polarizing opinion uh, of Ken. I mean, even within like the industry, and I think it's like kind of the funny thing too about doing this podcast and kind of becoming friends with different people through doing the show is knowing that there are people who are like, I don't like that fucking person. <laughs> and there are times like I will literally see, uh, you know, discourse about people in the industry where someone's like, oh, I just don't fucking like that person. That person's a shit bag, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I've always held this philosophy that, you know, you're, you're probably not, there are going to be people who don't like you. There's probably people out there who think that you're like the worst person ever. And, you know, you just kind of got to live your life and, you know, just understand that. But the the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because with, with Ken, you know, there is, and we talk about it, but like, I think there's the public persona of who people think Ken is. And as I've gotten to know him more personally over the years between doing the show and just kind of in conversations we've had off record, there's like the Ken that I know. 
And I think it's more of who Ken really is, but you don't really see. And it kind of really is almost that philosophy of, you know, it's the, the 10,000 hours. It's, you know, you don't see someone go through the work and putting in the work typically to make something look so easy. You just kind of think like, oh, well, they're a fucking dick because they're doing something really hard and making it seem like it's not hard. Like, you know, it's kind of taking the piss out of it or whatever. And I I don't know. It's so funny because like when, when people kind of talk about someone like Ken or who they think he is, it kind of reminds me, I guess, of like my friends in Wilson. You know, for the longest time, everyone just was fixated on, oh, they're a party band. All they do is drink. All they do is party. All they do, like that's their whole thing. And I feel like everyone was missing and overlooking the reality of the situation, which is, yeah, maybe they are those people as well. But you are not seeing the people who lock themselves away to write and work on making the best music that they can. You don't see all the hard work that goes into what they're doing to achieve the success or to, you know, the things like that. And I think it just creates this like false narrative of that to be successful doesn't mean you've earned it. And I just feel like that's so disingenuine to anybody. It doesn't even have to apply to a quote unquote famous musician or anything like that. I think it applies to so many facets of life. Like, I, I feel like it's almost like we don't value work or the work ethic anymore that by and large, all we want and see is one of two things. We either want to see the instant results or just assume that results were instant for somebody because maybe there's, I don't know if it starts with jealousy, if it starts from a place of, I guess jealousy really is it. But like, I also kind of want to, I have to think that it almost comes from a place too, where it's, you know, because we compare ourselves to others and, and, it's kind of human nature to do such that I just feel like that maybe like we don't want to believe that putting in the work is what you like, I guess because I feel like everyone just wants the fucking short, short way of doing it. The shortcut, everyone wants to take the shortcut now. And I feel like maybe that's why I, as someone who is older and doesn't believe that like shortcuts really are a thing necessarily and like yes you can have friends who help you there are things that can help you move along in anything faster but by and large it takes that you have to be prepared and have done the work and you are ready for it i would say more often than not and i feel like that's the part where it just gets a little frustrating at times and why i want to showcase and bring out these things because i feel like people should get their flowers for the the fucking hard work and sacrifices they've made to to be good at something and excel. Um, I actually want to explore that just a little bit more, but for the sake of getting into the conversation with Ken, let's get into it, and I'll talk to you more on the other side. Well, I mean, it's always fun to have, you know, PRP's most hated, most wanted man on the podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Ken Susie, guys, your your favorite target. No, <laughs> no. Um, 
I actually, I actually have had a good relationship, I think, with the dudes and you know, ladies and gentlemen on on um, on uh, PRP at this point. Like uh, years, like a few years ago, I did this uh, podcast and I got uh, death threats, which was pretty funny. And I ended up finding the actual person, reaching out uh, through my sources, finding the actual person, and just basically was like, "Listen, you know, like I don't know what kind of problem you have." you have uh, you know you have kids you have a wife like is it really all worth this over some you know chat room like it's kind of it's kind of bizarre and the dude uh, was like oh no it wasn't me it wasn't me i'm like listen you know it, it, things are things can be visible if you need them to be and i'm just letting you know i know it's you so keep it cool so sure enough things things uh died down but it's 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 pretty uh the world's a weird place i mean it's 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 kind of it's kind of bizarre, but I will say this: like, people now I'm known to go on PRP. So if there's any news about me, it's always great. Like before I even see it, someone's like, "Oh, Ken's guaranteed to pop up on this," and I'm pretty <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm pretty much like an open open uh, open book. So I have no problem with telling people the truth and how it is from my perspective and. Um, I actually really like PRP because people's names are attached to it and yeah. there's more, um, civilness, but, uh, but you know, like I do pop in like lamb goat and all those other ones. And I just like, I laugh whenever I see people like hiding behind an anonymous tag and, you know, and saying what they want to say. It's, it's all in good fun. Like it's all stupid. Well, it's like, it was kind of amusing. The other day I had someone comment on my pepper episode and like, I, I mean, granted, it was like, I think we talked for maybe like 22 minutes and there's probably like almost 12 minutes of intro outro on either side. And it was the thing where in the beginning, I was just kind of like, I had some audio issues. I tried cleaning them up. I tried doing a handful of different things at the end of the day. Like this just is the best it's going to be. So apologies. And someone commented on the YouTube version. They're like, cripes, just get on with the interview, dude. And like, I was like. You know what? Everyone has been commenting on this has been like, sounded great, dude. Pepper's such a great dude. It, it literally sounded like you guys were just at a bar, which we were uh, just talking and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's like the one negative comment I, I got. And I was just like, sorry, I made you fast forward through something that you chose to click on and is absolutely free. <laughs> <laughs> but it you just, know, it, it gets to the, the point where like you just have if there's no like what was the point of even doing that? It's like just you could have just not said anything and had the exact same impact. Yeah, here's here's my take on podcasts in general. And I and I and I back that like in a world now where people censor so much or or, you know, they 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 package things up for you in order to digest them quickly. It's actually really nice whether you're listening to, you know, people politically on the right or the left or or, you know, sports medicine or doctors or anybody do a full uh, a full podcast and you get to hear their actual words and them actually speak is uh, I think it's tremendous that, you know, people like you and, and others in, in the world do this because podcasts are just, it really is the news, right? If someone says something or they feel a certain way or they've studied a bunch and they want to talk about it, it's all there in the open and it's there forever, which I actually really like that because if people change their minds or they admit that they're wrong or, or, uh, or you're just getting unfiltered, um, you know, news, if you, if you want to call it that or, or perspective and uh, you know, it is what it is. So everyone chill out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do. I do feel like the, when you had told me like the, 
what had happened to you after one of our last chats where I was like, oh, didn't think the flip flop bands thing, whatever. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember it like you caught some shit for for something you said. And I didn't really think much of it. And then when you're like, oh, I got a death threat. I was like, shit, I I probably need to be more aware of, I guess, like possibly protecting the other person from themselves at times and sort of having the like just the, the weight of like doing this, like there, there has to be some responsibility on my end. Like I can't just throw shit out. Like I guess I used to, because like, I guess it's at a level where like, like it, it can have real life ramifications and it's not something you ever think about. I mean, I didn't until that happened to you. And I was like, Oh shit. I, well, I, guess I, well, I think it's more I, accountable. I, yeah. I actually think it's not you. It's, it's more so about, when you put yourself out there in public, which, which I have for, uh, you know, more than half of my life and mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily a boy scout, you know, and I never, I never claim to be. So if, you know, if I've ever like, you know, hooked up with girls on tour or they hooked up with me or, or I said something that was off color or just to be funny in a room or, or, you know, or I was just acting wacky, you know, that's a part of my personality. And, you know, I would never do anything to hurt anybody else. I would never do anything to make someone feel bad. I would never do anything to impose myself on somebody uh, in a negative way, whether it be, you know, with another female or one of my friends or anything. I, I am very pro, like, good times, party, make everyone feel good. If there's any type of, like, uh, sparring, you know, like, it's, it's the, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, brushed elbows, kind of like, ah, you know. Uh, you know, like whatever, a joke, you know, and, and, and I always make it very, very clear. I never try to intend to hurt someone's feelings, but, you know, some people think, and this is the, the, the crazy part about being somewhat popular. I'm not never going to call myself a celebrity because I'm not, but people tend to feel like they've met me once or they know somebody that knows me and there's an urban legend about something I might have said or done um from years ago I mean when I was 20 I mean you know like or whatever it's it's just bizarre that people you know they pop up and they just say like oh I know that guy and he's a jerk and he's done this and he's done that and I've actually had to pop in on uh you know like forums and stuff and say like Hey, what you're claiming happened never happened. So I don't know why you're jumping out here saying like it's fact. Like, you know, it, it's 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 bizarre how people deranged people feel that they know you or they or they thought that they saw you or they 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 tell themselves something to to trick themselves into um, you know, believing some narrative about somebody and and to be totally honest, like anyone who knows me is I'm a very giving, I'm a very caring person and I like to have fun. It's just, I, I don't, it, I don't make excuses for what I do or how I've done or how I've lived my life. And I think uh, like some people just don't like me for that reason. So you can't please everybody, but the deranged, like I will, I, you know, I have popped up on like forums and stuff and, and actually put uh, people to bed and just say that's, I, I don't know where you're getting information like that. And that's like wrong, like, you know, like you have to stop because that's not fair, you know, just because I'm in a position of, uh, you know, I'm on stage and I'm doing things. It doesn't mean that you get to say whatever you want about me, even if it's not true. Do you feel that? Do you 
does it scare you, I guess, now that that's kind of becoming more of the, the world we live in now where, I mean, shit, I guess kind of taking it to a whole nother level, but sort of on the same thing we're discussing. I mean, AI now with what we can do with it, where you can, you know, Photoshop people very realistically doing shit that they didn't say, taking their voice if they've ever done anything and making them say shit that is clearly not them saying it. Is, does it ever worry you that by what is like what you have done or what is out there that like that could just get taken so far out of context? No, no, not really. Well, no, actually, when I say no, uh, yes, you, to your question, yes. Um, I think it's I think it's it's very scary that anyone can make something or make an accusation or do something to out somebody me i'm not worried about me because i know deep in my heart that i've lived a really good life and i've made i've tried to bring uh you know happiness to everyone who's around me in good times and bad no matter what the scenario is so you know even though you know i'm a polarizing person and i've always been like pro party and yay cool girls and you know rock and roll whatever uh, I would say that I've tried to always do right. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story real quick, and then I'll answer your question. Like my best friend in the world is Frank. His name's Frank Pino, and he oh, played in a band called he. Yeah, he played in a band called Waltham. I the day I met him, I played a Motley Crue tribute band with Brian Fair and Buzz and and Derek Kurzweil and some other guys. It was basically Shadows Fall on Earth and Kill Switch. We all got together and we did like this Motley Crue thing. And the the premise of the band was like, yeah, we're just Motley Crue set. We all like learn these things. And like the songs and stuff. And then like Brian Fair and I are like, well, we're in Motley Crue tonight. Like, let's get drunk, you know, like Motley Crue would. And we and we were like, I mean, I, I listen, like back in the day, we used to drink pretty hard. But this was like way over the top. And we sounded yeah. horrible on stage, which was cool because the crowd like laughed and liked it. But after the show, there's these two girls in front of the stage. And I grabbed like I literally like like talked to them. And then I was like, all right, help me get to the bar. And I had one hand on one girl and the other girl like I had a hand on like like, you know, my arms are on. They were basically holding me up and they dragged <laughs> me over this bar. I didn't know these girls at all. But I was like, yeah, you know, like I'm in the band. Help me get to the bar, you know. And uh, so Frank, uh, Frank comes over to like I get introduced to Frank through a friend of mine, Robbie, Robbie Roadsteamer. And he goes, uh, he goes, hey, Ken, this is Frank from uh, Waltham, I showed you their de his demo. And I was like, oh yeah, Waltham, you guys are all right. You know, like I, I, I like drunk me was being genuine, but I really did like the band, but I just, I was just too drunk. And then Frank's like, nice to meet you, man. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you have your arm around my girl. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> and, and, uh, and like, I was just like, oh, whatever, dude, you know, like they're, they're holding me up. So it could have been a weird instance. And like, I was just drunk and being stupid, but ultimately like, this is where like character pops in. Like I had like the next day when you hung over or whatever, nothing bad happened or anything, you know, like I just kind of like went off and did my thing. I hung on the bar. I probably like drank the rest of my night and someone drove me home. But um, what ended up happening was the next day uh, I called Rob and I was like, listen, I have this odd memory of one person I might've offended. I was like, I, 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 I think it was the guy from Waltham. I don't know. It, like, I think I bummed him out because I was like holding on to his girlfriend. She was holding me up or whatever. And uh, and I said, I really like to call and apologize. So I like called Frank. I didn't know this guy from a hole in the wall. And I was like, listen, like, 
I might've been inappropriate last night, but I was literally level 10 drunk. And I, you know, didn't put any moves on your girlfriend or anything like that. I was literally, she's literally holding me up, but I had this awful memory of like being rude to you, or I thought I was being rude to you. And I'm sorry if I did. And sure enough, he was like, really respect, you know, respectful of, you know, the fact that I was being genuine. And he was like, Hey, I'm having a party tonight. You want to come over? And literally that next day was like the next 20 years of my life because I've been best. He's been, he became my best friend because of that. You know, like if I didn't reach out and I, I wasn't nice. Yeah. To him. Or I, I didn't apologize. You know, we wouldn't be best friends. And, and uh, you know, so going back to your question is like, sometimes people make mistakes but the thing is, is this, if your heart's in the right place, it should go a long way. But I don't like the fact that like anyone can call anybody out. And as long as it gets online and whoever's voice is louder, they become a target and they become uh, anybody can get in front of a camera and like cry and say this awful thing happened to me. And sometimes in, the, in, in, in real life, like it's sad because those things are true and someone puts themselves out there and they're really like they're really. um you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, is courageous maybe for doing that. But ultimately, like the Internet's not a place for that. I don't think I think the you know, the courtroom is. And I think like, you know, if something bad happens, you know, you should really take legal action. Shouldn't just like smear someone's name, you know. So no, I get nervous that like a lot of young. Yeah, like a lot of young musicians are playing shows, signing autographs, interacting with fans. And God only knows like what happens on either way. Sometimes it's it's in jest. Sometimes it's not. Uh, it, people just got to be really careful nowadays. Yeah. Another time uh, when we're not on a record, I'll, I'll have to tell you about some stuff that I was made privy to from something that happened somewhat recently to a band and people in it kind of surrounding what you're talking about. And it's just like you know, seeing the receipts on the other end of things. And it's like, damn, like if you were to, to believe just literally what's out on the internet and on all the, on all the, like the blogs and the, the music sites and such, it's like, this is pretty damning, but to like kind of see all the other sides of it and hear the, the firsthand accounts from people who were literally there, you're just like, man, like, how do you know what to believe anymore? Like, it's so, so hard. And like you said, it sucks because all it ends up doing, I feel like is creating, this thing where those that are genuinely trying to have their voices be heard because of something that happened to them and finding the strength and courage to say something, it just gets less and less credible because you have so many other people who are doing it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm of the mindset, uh, you know, if this is a Bill and Ted's, uh, you know, movie, if life was a Bill Ted's movie, I would say, you know, be, be, you know, kind to one another and party on dudes, you know, this is, it's, you know, you should be able to have fun. You should be able to have your heart in the right place and, and have fun. And, uh, for those that try to ruin the good time, that sucks for everybody. So, uh, it's, we live in scary times. Um, there's a lot of delusional people, but then again, there's a lot of people that are telling the truth. And be, because of that, it's very tough to, de- uh, you know, decipher what's, what's real and what's not. The thing that bothers me is that people that have no, uh, and I'm just saying in generalities, people that have no connection to a situation, just base an opinion on things that they have no, they're not educated enough to to discuss. And it's the same thing with like politics for me. Like so many people are like, oh, do you hear Donald Trump did this or Joe Biden did that or this guy did that and this and that. I'm like, I don't like, I can't comment because I'm not in the government. Like, I don't know. I've never met either one of those guys. I don't care. Like, 
I, I, you know, I have an opinion, but I, I don't know. I'm not there. I, who knows? hundred <laughs> percent. I, uh, kind of moving on to something a little less, uh, I don't want to say trepidatious with the, the territory we've been discussing in for the last like 10, 15 minutes, but something a little more yeah. upbeat, I'll say. So, you know, the last time you were on, you know, was almost at this kind of very pivotal point in your career. Uh, if I, if I can be so frank to say it like that, I mean, essentially, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time when you were on, you know, I had kind of asked you cause at the time on earth had announced, I think a European run that you were going to do with Esley dying. And then obviously we all now know that you're, you know, in, in the band, at least in a touring capacity. I think I did see something somewhat recently saying that, uh, Tim said you and, uh, Nick and, uh, why am I Ryan, uh, are all Ryan, like, yeah. right, writing at least. Uh, on some new stuff um so it's one of those things that almost kind of has serendipitously kind of come full circle to where you know i was kind of asking you as an elder statesman of the scene and so forth just to kind of about you know people getting upset at you for for taking the tour but beyond that how has how has it been for you um to you know kind of this new part of your career to kind of start something new you know almost what two decades into the career yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I appreciate you asking it, it like the way you just phrased that question is really nice of you to phrase it the way you did, because, you know, this is something that I see a lot online. I, I, I have been getting a little bit of flack from some, you know, people that I don't know that are like, oh, Ken's taking a payday and oh, Ken, oh, that band is this and oh, they should just quit. Or, you know, Ken's uh, uh, Tim Lambesis is uh uh, whatever boy, you know, like, like whatever it is that, you know, whatever it is that people think it, it's, it's just like, they're so far away from like the reality of really what happens behind the scenes that they just don't know. And, and, and I can't like fault anybody for, for knowing, like financially speaking, like I've, I've always been really good with my money. Uh, I don't have to answer to anybody when it comes to financials. I don't have to be in a band to make money to survive. I've done well independently, even outside of music. So like, that's just not a question, but ultimately, you know, I've known, I've known the SLA dying guys for a very long time. Tim, I met a very, very, very long time ago, maybe when I was like 20 years old and he was still on the West coast and as dying, uh, we didn't even put out the Pluto record yet. And we met a VFW hall. He gave me a demo tape. I've had a relationship with him that long. So, um, you know, Phil, I've known since he was like 18, you know, uh, uh, Jordan, Nick, HIPAA, uh, Josh, all great guys, all great friends still are to this day. Um, as I I mean, sorry, Unearth was like my, you know, I started playing guitar with buzz when I was 17 years old. Um, yeah. you know, we were in another band and one of the hardest things in my life I ever had to do was step away from the band that I started. I started on earth. Buzz was in 0.04. I joined his band and I was literally like, Hey, I can't like work with this particular singer in this band. And I, you know, I like, it would be great to, we're so much we're more capable of doing something better than this. And I'd really like to explore it. Will you, do you want to come with me? And we ended up like folding that other band starting on earth, me, Buzz Rover and Mike Rudberg. And uh, it was, you know, all uphill from there. And we, we, we all had such amazing years together. And so we saw so many successes and so many 
you know, catastrophic failures together that will always be bounded by blood, you know, me and the guys. But the hardest thing I ever had to do was was remove myself from a project that I started uh, with Buzz. And um, to be totally honest with you, it's sad because there's a lot of people that have reached out to me and says, I'm really going to miss seeing you and Buzz on stage together and stuff. And I'm like, you know, hey, Buzz and I are still friends. As long as Buzz and I are still going to eat Chinese food, you know, at Carloons together, like that's all I'm really worried about. Uh, he's always going to be tied to me and I'm always going to be tied to that band. But I didn't leave haphazardly. There's there's significant reasons why I left that band. Uh, and it, it hurts me to leave. But sometimes when you're the only guy saying no to things and the other guys are saying yes, and the tra their trajectory is much different than yours. I I had to remove myself from the situation uh, for the better for for my own head's sake and their and their head's sake. You know, like if if that's even a word or a term. But I just had to remove myself for both parties, uh, just because it was starting to become become frustrating um, to work with each other. Uh, not because we're not brothers, not because I don't love the music, and not because I I dislike anybody. We're all still friends. Uh, I just like, it was just the philosophy and the approach and everything was just so different at one point that I was just like, I can't, I can't, I, you know, like this, um, I'm tied here. And the funny part is, is that as LA dying was just when Nick Hippo left as LA dying, I, they asked me to play uh guitar just for fun. They were like, Hey, you want to like, come on a tour? Are you busy? And I'm like, I'm always busy, but yeah, I'd like to like <laughs> maybe play guitar for you guys. And yeah, it was just started off as like a friend thing. And then um, when things happened with Unearth, it was always kind of planned that I was going to do an As I Lay Dying tour. And, you know, eventually I was like, I thought it'd be cool if like, you know, maybe we could all pair up and As I Lay Dying could do a tour together with Unearth and all that stuff. And then out of nowhere, things went south with Unearth, uh, you know, internally for me. And I was just like, all right, well, hey, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm available more than you think. Uh and I had that conversation with Phil and he's just like, well, let's just see how it goes. Let's do a tour. And that's where we are right now. Uh, we did a tour. We did a few tours and it went really well. And then he's like, hey, you, you know, you want to jump in on the on the writing and stuff. And I and, and my philosophy always was philosophy always was, hey, you and Nick, I'm sorry, you and um, Tim do most of the writing. And Josh was a main writer, too. But you two have like for years have doing done all the writing and, you know, I'm not trying to change the band. Maybe I can just like, you know, start off by assisting you here and there. Oh, hold on. Hold on one second. Let me just pause for a sec. Okay. So yeah, I'll, 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 I'll start from there. I, uh, I think I was just saying, um, you know, Tim and, and, uh, Phil approached me, asked if I could, uh, you know, cause the tours went so well and the chemistry was really good with all of us on stage. He was just kind of like, they both were like, you know, would you want to write with us? And I said, clearly, like, you guys have been great writing your own records. You don't need my help. I know Josh was a big part of it, too. But those two guys have written a lot of material together over the years that, that was, you know, that <laughs> did very, very well. So yeah. I was just kind of like, I'll assist. I'll come in there and I'll, I'll help out with the process and uh, I'll do my best. And um, I never expected to do a record with those guys. But here we all are kind of uh, collaborating and doing a record. And it's a... Uh, and it's great. Um, I guess to kind of like answer the question is, um, um, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not technically a full-time member or anything like that. No decisions have been made in that sense, but I am definitely in, indefinitely touring with them 
as of right now. And, you know, would I like to be a member of the band? We'll see how that goes. But yeah, I haven't, I'm, I, I march to the beat of my own drum and I do what's, I do what's right. And sometimes in your life, I think if you look at Azalea dying and the, and the decision-making that they've made uh, as far as the band goes and records go and how they tour and at the pace in which they tour, it's drastically different than what Unearth's doing. And I, and I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. Unearth is definitely the type of band that will play wherever there's electricity and for, for better or for worse, some people see that as a pro and some people see that as a con. Um, but like, ultimately they're, they're busting ass and I, and I, I want them to succeed. Uh, you know, there's no world here where I want to see on earth fail or see the guys be bummed out. I want them to succeed and I want them to be happy. And I think the feelings are mutual back at me. Um, but ultimately I didn't have to join as dying for financial reasons. I didn't have to do anything, uh, against my own will, to be honest, it was a really good situation. It was a really good band. And to be honest, out of all the bands in the, in, in, in the scene, um, you know, every time I die would have been a band that I could see myself playing in, uh, kill switch engage is a band that I could see myself playing in or as LA dying is a band I could see myself playing. Cause I genuinely like those bands so much. So when the time, when the opportunity found itself, I was like, well, of course I would play with them. It just makes sense. It's a lateral move. So, I mean, uh, uh, and this is going to be the part where I'm sure someone on YouTube is going to be like, man, fuck it. You should have just let Ken keep talking. Uh, Cause I'm probably going to talk for a little <laughs> bit here. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. It's a thing where like, cause I think you and I, I'm going to be like 39 in a couple of months. So I think you've got a couple of years on me, but like we're roughly yep. the same age. Um, yeah. So to me, what's interesting and what I meant kind of more by like, you know, you're 20 years into your career and you're starting, how does it feel? It's, it's not like, you know, someone might ask you that question and, and they're looking for dirt. When I'm asking that question, I'm looking at it from being almost 40 and, and thinking about what does it mean to start over? Because there's such familiarity and, and such comfort in knowing what you've been doing for so long that there's the uncertainty of everything about kind of picking up and starting anew and being the new guy in a situation. And maybe your voice won't be heard as much, or maybe you, you know, you play sports too. So this analogy will make sense to you, but like something I've really been thinking a lot about as I, in the last like two or three years, as I've gotten older is, is roles and especially how you can't be the, the guy or the gal, the, the person every time, sometimes your role should be more of a complimentary, you know, role player. And setting someone else up for success, setting your team up for success and thinking about that for you, where maybe you were one of the main guys, it's you and buzz and kind of what you say goes or whatever. So now you're becoming kind of the lowest person on the totem pole. And is there any trepidation and like, oh man, like, do you start even maybe second guessing yourself and what you're capable of doing? Because it's, it's, it's all new. And that's when I think of what you went through that those are some of the first thoughts. That's I come up with where I'm like, I wonder if you went through any of this or maybe not. That's a really, really great question. And psychologically speaking, there, there is a little bit of that that happens. But um, ultimately, I, there was never a kingpin in Unearth. There was never like a guy in the band that was like the leader, band leader. I don't know if it is now, if, you know, if it feels that way now or not. I, I don't know. But uh, Buzz and I were always a great team. And, uh, you know, I, I did like buzz, like loves to, 
you know, he learned how to sweep arpeggio and he did it really well, but you know, it was all over the material. And like, anytime somebody wants to shine, I'm not going to hold them back the same way. If there's a moment where I can shine and I write something creative, he's not going to be like, Oh dude, you can't do that. Like I have to do that too. You know, like we were very complimentary of each other and it was really great. Um, and uh, at the end, it was really hard to split up from one another. But with Azalea dying, yeah, there is a sense of, uh, you know, get it like, you know, showing up for school the first day and not knowing anybody in class to a certain degree. Even though I've known these guys for years, I've never been in a band with them, per se. Uh, I've toured with them and I've hung out with them. It's not like I'm showing up to work for them. So um, it's great that you brought up the sports analogy. I've, I've been a captain of most of my sports that I've you know, played in uh, high school and college. And the one thing that I got very used to later on in my life is that switching jerseys is sometimes a good thing. Um, you, you switch a jersey and the next thing you know, you're playing against your team and you can actually like, and I would never do this. I'm not saying this on earth, but I'd say sports wise, I, I would love to play against my friends because I grew up with them or I played against them and you can show them if there was ever a time in the locker room where someone said like, oh, you should have did this or you should have that. And you're like, oh yeah. Well, maybe someday we'll play against each other and I'll, I'll exploit your weaknesses, you know? And it's right. like one of those things. It's it's a little bit like spicy. I, I don't look at uh, band stuff being a competition, but there is a sense of like walking into a new locker room, not knowing somebody, not knowing how things are. And the first show, it was actually really, really funny because it's not just me going through this. Ryan Neff, Everybody. who, yeah, Ryan Neff, like, is a huge Azalea Dying fan to the point where he's like a mega fan where like these guys are my peers, but he's like actually excited to be in the band because he loves the band so much. And it was really funny. I, no one's ever talked about this before, but we, so there was a tremendous amount of like material I had to learn and Phil's very meticulous as far as like how things are played and the band plays to a grid and, you know, and all that stuff. So I had to learn the stuff like spot for, you know, note for note spot on which was great. I love, I love to work in that environment because that's where I succeed as a player. But Ryan Neff shows up. We, we, you know, we met and we met at the rehearsals, which was like two days. And we hopped on stage and we played the first show and he and I are on the same side of the stage. And, um, and he goes, and the show was insane, like off the first two songs. And he looks at me, he goes, yo, do we get to do that? Like every day? And I was like, and I looked at him and I'm like, yeah, dude. And he's like, no, really? Like, like, this is what our life is going to be like. And I was like, pretty cool, huh? And he's like, yeah, dude, this is insane. And I, and I like, I was like, I picked up my glass and I'm like, cheers brother to, to the rest of our lives. Right. Or the, you know, or, or as long as it takes us, you know? And he was just like, so excited to be there. And me, I was like, also just like, yeah, this is great. Like it's pleasant. So sometimes the rust gets knocked off a little bit there after you just like play the first show. But for me, uh, the thing that was the weirdest is that I, I was like, I have a very Ken Susie like thing that I do on stage. Yeah. And antics, like I belt off and whipped my guitar and yelled Indiana Jones on stage, you know, like, or kicked my cabs over. That's just like my thing. And I'm, I'm I kind of like, to, I call it exploring the space. And, um, I didn't do it for the first two or three shows. And then I went to Phil and I went to Tim and I just said, I just said, guys, like I'm fucking like, regardless of if I'm in your band or not. And I know you guys have a certain way of doing things, but like I'm Ken Susie, like I'm going to do push-ups and I'm going to fucking get the crowd into it. And I'm going to, I'm going to do my shit. Is that cool? And they're like, yeah, please do it. Like, 
we were wondering why you weren't. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I, I think that like me being me on stage is just like the fact that they were like, gave me the blessing to do it. I didn't want to like F up their band. Um, right. But they're, but, but they were like, no, we like what you do and we like what you contribute just keep doing it. And, you know, within reason, if there's anything crazy that you do, that's too nuts. <laughs> we'll let you know, but like, ultimately like have fun. And, and I have been, it's been great. It's interesting because when I saw you, when you guys roll through town, it's weird. Cause it was actually something I was wondering, how is it going to be? Cause it, and it's nothing against, it's nothing against, you know, the guys in Esley dying. Like they are phenomenal players. They put on a great show, but it's like when I went and saw them from basically frail words all the way to, you know, right before they kind of went on hiatus, you know, Tim is kind of the, the, the only one moving Josh, maybe a little bit. And, you know, Nick and Phil basically are off to their sides, you know, playing their riffs and having not really seen Ryan personally, it was kind of, well, I know what you and buzz are all about. And it's something between, it's honestly something between the complexity of what, you know, Nick and uh, Phil were doing where it's like, we're playing complicated risks. We kind of need to sit here and play these, but it's also something between that. And like, every time I die or like Dillinger, like the chariot where it's like, it's also about a moment And this moment for you. It happens every set. These are the songs we play and these are the things we like we do, but each moment is different because the crowd is different. The people are different. And how they react to these things is different and what it, it evokes out of you. And I was interesting. It was interesting. And I was interested to see how do you incorporate yourself into it? Because I know you as a player in a live setting a, a very particular way. And it's not it's not what I associate with Asley dying at all. Um, yep. So it was good when I saw it because I think at that point you had already done uh, an overseas tour, maybe some festivals, and you were about midway through the, the U.S. run when you came through here. So I feel like I really got a, a good representation of, you know, how you were all gelling as a band, uh, you know. And I mean, for me, and this is, you know, maybe speaking a little out of turn, but it's like to see you guys after the set, you know, like on the bus and so forth, like kind of really showcased, I th think, who you all are as a band together. Uh, behind closed doors and it's definitely something where it's like it didn't feel like you guys were new it felt like if no one would have known and somewhere to be introduced to the band it'd be like oh yeah this is the band clearly like it's not yeah people are all new it didn't feel like that yeah you're 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 hitting home runs here like this is something that people don't don't see no like these are really good questions like like i, I don't get answered i don't get asked good like rich stuff like this uh regularly but you're right like so Ryan Neff and I don't know each other very well, but we became like instant, like, you know, same stage side stage guys together. He is a fantastic, he's like one of my favorite humans. And I obviously have a relationship with uh, Tim and Phil that are different than everybody else. I obviously have a relationship with Nick. So I am kind of like, you know, I'm the one who has the most relationships I would say with everybody in the band. But um, Ryan was the guy who I, I, I don't, necessarily know so but the funny thing is is th our personalities are really really good it's it's funny it, like when i do like side bands or anything one of my main things is is like oh well if the drummer is not that good but he's a really good person and can play the parts that you know like sometimes the the chemistry makes more sense than anything um right. phil and tim like casted the band as it is right now in a really good way because Nick and I already have a relationship 
And like Ryan fits perfectly with everybody and all of our personalities are very similar. Uh, the, the way we think about business or shows or merchandise or what we're doing with our time is very, very similar. So we're all in sync and we all get along really well. There hasn't been a band fight. There hasn't been a band anything. There hasn't been anything crazy that I can point to to say like, whoa, this this is a red flag for me as to why I shouldn't play in this band. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like if if you were to just walk on the bus, you 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 would have like four or three guys just being like, hey, you want a drink or hey, oh, oh, and like we'd all be talking about the things we're talking about as if we've known each other for a very long time. And it's weird because you don't feel that chemistry, but like you don't feel that chemistry often. But when I start playing with these guys, even off the first show, I was like, wow, this all clicks. Everybody's like, you know, tight playing wise. Everyone's like tight personality wise. Uh, one of my other best friends, Otto is the, the side fill uh, oh. mo a monitor guy. So it's like, like everything makes sense. But I, what I will say uh, that's, that's actually pretty uh, important here is that, you know, the original lineup of Azure Lay Dying, and this is me speaking of my own perspective from being on the outside, Jordan, uh, Phil, Tim, uh, Josh, and Nick, all different personalities. Every single one of those guys has a completely different personality. When I say they're all so different, it's crazy. So when they when they were together, obviously the band's great and they make magic and stuff. And sometimes bands thrive on that. But those personality differences are so great sometimes where the band can't be functional. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to disclose like whether or not that's what like split them all up or anything. I'm just saying the outside perspective that I have, knowing them all individually differently is like they're all they're so different whereas like if you met me and buzz separately you'd, you'd be like oh i can totally see why they are part of the same circle or friend circle right but but when you meet like each one of the guys in as dying you'd be like wow like i couldn't picture these guys in the same room unless if they were in as dying together and i've known them that way um so there's there's something to be said for that um so yeah the new the the the, the older you know the the last lineup is uh obviously truly great but i understand you know there there were things there that i can't really disclose and i and i won't it's not fair to anybody but i will say yeah. uh you know the new lineup is like we're we're kind of geeky in the sense that like we played uh alcatraz and we can't believe how tight we play like i actually can't believe how tight the band is like i've listened to unearth shows like for years and we're tight we're a tight band um but the way As I Lay Dying is structured and how we play, I, I like there's a live Vakken performance and there's a live yeah. Alcatraz uh, show that's online floating around somewhere. And like when I saw those and we all saw those together, uh, we were just like, I, I can't believe like there's no notes being missed. Like we're really, really, really like gelled and tight together. And it's it's almost like weirdly bizarre that it feels like we've been playing with each other for such a short period of time, but it feels like we've been playing together for a very long time. Well, I would almost, I would almost guess if sure. I mean, I, this is, this is a hundred percent my opinion. This isn't, you know, cause I've already, some of the things I've said, these are part of conversations that we, you and I have had, you know, not doing this. Um, 
So when I say this, I don't want anyone to think this is me talking for you or something we've said. This is 100% something that I, I've noticed and I'm thinking. But I'm wondering if it's because you all collectively felt like you had something to prove. You know, prove the doubters wrong. Prove it to yourself that there was the, – the, the bar was set so high that because so many people wanted this to fail that you – you all collectively went into it knowing that you had to be nothing if short of perfect to prove to yourselves collectively and individually and to everyone like there is a chip on your shoulder. Uh, to be honest with you, that's exactly that's I've I think I'm the only one who said it backstage here and there because we don't talk about that very often. But there's right. sometimes where like if someone had a bad show or someone's like, oh, I missed a note or uh, my guitar was out of tune or whatever, the, you know, my tech handed it to me and it was like my guitar broke. I'm like, listen, like I'm the I'm always of the mindset like we have three thousand shows to play together. You know, like you got this one, whatever is your bad. Who cares? Tomorrow we're going to wake up and play another show and we can totally redeem ourselves, you know, like after that. But but um, but I but I am. I always say it to the guys. I'm like, like the first show that we had with them, I literally like just said, guys, like I'm not like trying to rah rah everybody in this room right now, but every night that we get out here, we have to put on like a tremendous performance because we're we're a new band and we and we have to prove it to the world how good we are because we know we're really good. And everybody like looked in the room and we're just kind of like nodding, yeah, like like a sports team, like yeah, we're we are good. Like we've done the homework. We've 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 been here for the, you know, the history of this band and some of us were as fans, some of us as uh, peers, and we all know what needs to happen and we know how we have to do it. And I think the band ever since that first show, when that was said, it's just, it's been unspoken that we have everything in the world to prove. And I think everybody does have that like exciting new, that, that, you know, fresh car smell, you know, like, oh my God, this is all brand new. And it feels good, and and everyone's like playing a little looser because we're we're on a we're on the war path a little bit, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because sometimes, like you know, you were just kind of saying like you don't get asked these. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to call them juicy or these these you know thought out questions, and a lot of it literally is just me thinking. Like I had no idea what, what we were going to talk about, where it was going to go, but I know, you know, something I love love about doing the show especially with having people back on that i have become friends with since doing the show is i love kind of showcasing more of like the person i know that maybe not everyone gets to see and it's something for me not that you need my validation or me to bring it out in you because it is who you are but i think sometimes it's a little it's a little upsetting when people are just like oh ken's like the you know the guy who just drinks a bunch and, and riffs and it's like i mean yeah he is that but like also you should give him more like he's more than that and i think people should see a different side of everybody like see the side that like most <laughs> people don't get to and you know i know it's maybe not always like the thing because you know i'm not saying you will go about it thinking like oh it's gonna ruin my credibility or anything but you know you were you were making a comment earlier about how you know you've been really good with money and that you you know didn't necessarily need bands to like the band to be your sole source of income and i feel like that's such a a huge part of who you are and who you've become almost in this secondary phase of your career of like, you know, working with Fishman, doing as much as you've done with Fishman when most people will be like, Oh, you know, I'm touring. I, yeah, I'm kind of just the face and I do some stuff. It's kind of all bullshit. Uh, I don't really do any real work. And it's like, 
you know, half the time I feel like you're probably as equally invested or more so sometimes than being the band, ben, you know, Ken is the band guy. And to me, I think that's very admirable. It just showcases th that you're wanting to put in the work and willing to put in the work. And I think it, you know, goes back to sports even where it's like, you know, what's the old fra phrase you would see on your, you know, in the gyms and stuff like that. It's not the hours you put in, but it's what you put into the hours. And right. It's a, it's a thing to me where like, you know, I've always seen you like doing a million things and you're someone who doesn't do shit just because you want to, you do it because you want to be doing it and you're passionate about it and it's something you have to do. I mean, even to with, you know, USA, USA or now swivel or, you know, any of the things you do, it's like, I want to do it because I want to do it and it's fun and it's something I need to do. And yeah, I just feel like that's a side of you that like maybe people don't see or hear very often. Well, I, I, I'm actually really glad you said this. And this is, again, another first that anyone's ever asked me, but I'll answer this on your your podcast. I Do you know how many hours I put into stressing over practice, stressing over writing, stressing over like like literally like driving myself nuts prefer, to, for perfection to then get on stage and make it look like it's my last priority and I'm just doing it. <laughs> like, like uh, that, that to be who I like to be the, uh, it's not a, I call it a character, but it's not a character because it is who I am. I want, when I go to a concert or when I was a kid, I would go see kiss or poison or death or, or, you know, like whatever band I was seeing Metallica, I, I would always like the funness of the show. Um, so I don't want people to, show up to a concert, have me stress out in my studio, you know, for hours on end, uh, writing a riff or performing a riff or whatever, and then to get on stage and be stiff and performing the riff just as stressful as, as it was to write it. I <laughs> spend the time to know it so well that I could like literally twiddle a yo-yo in the other hand and play it and or blow a kiss at somebody's girlfriend and make them mad while I'm doing something really hard. And uh, pe people don't understand that, that that's a craft all in itself. Like the fact that um, I play to a click and I have to be tight to a click, but also then, you know, be myself and run around and be fun and like make it look easy and chew gum and like while I play. And that's a really like people don't understand how many hours I put in. And then like also let's talk about unearth like let's talk about me being a drunk asshole on tour just being like ken susie being stupid that is me like back then when i used to drink a lot i that was me like kind of exhaling at the fact that like all the years i spent in a van counting money making sure that we paid the merch on time making sure we delivered the merch money to the person that's printing the new merch you know or keeping the books at zero and not in the red all those years to finally being in a tour bus and being like, Oh God, I can finally be on vacation and play guitar and drink or, you know what I mean? Or be just stupid. And like, I earned that time in my life. And now that I'm a little older, I don't drink as much. I do when I feel like it's a celebratory moment, but I spent a lot of time like doing things. I mean, the whole first year I worked for Fishman, I was in a tour van with Unearth, and I was in the very back bench making cold calls to all my friends being like, yo, I want to send you like pickups to try out. They're unbelievable, which they are. Like, I didn't have to say anything more than that. Just please like check these out because I'm blown away. You should be blown away too. But I, I did that for three years straight 
talking to artists, not, not to mention all the real estate shit I do, like, you know, ordering, ordering like parts for a house and then getting home from tour the night of, and then the next morning waking up super early and doing the electrical in the basement or, you know, or like, you know, uh, sheet rock or, you know, just, you know, exchanging toilets and stuff. People don't see this stuff that I do, but I, I work hard at every single thing I do to only make it look stupid and easy on stage because that's the way I like to do it, you know? Well, I think maybe another phrase that most people wouldn't associate when saying your name, but I think it's it's a thing where it's there's a bit of humility in it um, because yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people could go about it and say, like, I do all of these things. But you, when you do yeah. that, you're just looking for the accolade. You're still looking for the, the you know, attaboy kind of shit. And it's like, you do all that. And it's like, there's so much, like I said, that I know that you do outside of what you're known for that no one knows. And I'm just like, I mean. Yeah, you, I'm building. I'll literally go on tour. Yeah, I'll literally go on tour and build a house the next day or start working on building a house or framing something or whatever and putting my hands in jeopardy you know, to do something else. And, but, but if you go like, here's the thing about me is I'm talking about it right now, go on my social media. You will not see a single picture of me standing next to any of the artists that I endorse. I endorse Tosin Abasi, uh, Richard Z, Mick Thompson, uh, like, like name the artist. And I'm working with them with Fishman. How many photos you see me standing next to them being like, Hey, I'm here with this guy. How many photos do you see me with, with plaster all from head to toe being like, I put in a hard day worth of work today. No, I don't do any of that shit because it's nothing that you should, like, people don't fucking know what I do. And 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 that's the way it should be. I'll, I'll post the glorious moments. I'm not going to sit there and post like the, the struggle because I'm not an online motivator. I, I motivate myself. I'm not trying to inspire anybody else. I'm not trying to do anything. I should be with all the shit that I do, but that's not my MO. And to be honest, I was doing a live stream once a week for a while. Mm -hmm. And most yep. people I know charge subscriptions and all this other stuff. I was literally putting myself in front of a computer every day, every Wednesday to like literally give back just because I was like, I feel that I think I should open myself up to anybody who has questions about me or what I do. Yep. I didn't charge and anybody. I think that even goes a step beyond and, and kind of showcases a little bit more. And, and I didn't say this at the time, but it's, it's a great circling back moment. You know, you were talking earlier about how you've been more active on like PRP and like lamb goat and stuff like that. And I feel like once I saw you doing that, I feel like a lot of the, the narrative quote unquote about you changed because you know, you were willing to take the time to write out well thought out responses to people's questions or concerns or excuse me, accusations or whatever. And I feel like it can, I literally saw it in real time, people changing their perspective on what they thought and what they knew, quote unquote. And I feel like the same thing kind of happens with a lot of the other endeavors that you've been doing, you know, those weekend, those Wednesday live streams on all your socials, basically. And it's like, you know, I mean, I, again, this is me speaking, not you, something you've said, but I mean, the amount of times I've literally heard you say the, and answer the exact same questions about, you know, what's the difference between the Fishman influences versus, you know, these ones or, you know, are they are these passive or are these active or, you know, or like how hard is it to wire or what's, you know, better, the rechargeable pack or, you know, whatever. Like seeing you yeah. answer the same questions almost week in and week out, 
it was just like, damn, like he's, you could almost just clip out like a, a bunch of the phrasings of what you've said and be like, okay, here are the frequently asked questions. Here they all are. I'm not answering these anymore. <laughs> But yeah, you yeah, always would do it, and nope. then you would always just be like, "By the way, you can go to this website," and you never said it like in an asshole way. But it was like, "You can yeah. go here. Let me pull up the diagram for you. Let me show you how to do this because you have an understanding of it, whereas someone else doesn't." And you know, it's one of those where I think in music, and especially when you start getting into gear, like it's it's such a daunting thing because you know it's such a gatekeepy type community, and I could see someone being afraid to ask those kind of questions especially of someone of your stature and knowledge but the fact that you're willing to be like here let me pull up the thing you have access to these tools as well and then let me explain it to you and then you always coincidentally are always like and if you have any other questions feel free to shoot me a dm if you feel free feel to email me like whatever like i'll help you out as much as i can getting you the answers you want and it's like you don't do, have to. i know do you know how many actually do you know how many like legitimate questions I answer, even though like most people have that work life balance that they talk about, like, oh, you know, like oh, I work I and I do this. And and then after, yeah, after a certain hour, I shut myself off. If you really want to go pound for pound, I'm a quote unquote professional musician. I am a brand manager. I, if anybody deserves the, the, Hey, it's uh, five o'clock and I should check out and walk away from my desk or my computer or the stage and have my own time. It should be me. But to be honest with you, there's people that like just DM me like randomly. Hey, man, you'll probably never see this, but whatever. And like I'm I'm always like, you know what? Like if that were me, I would want to talk to me. You know, if I was that person, I would want to talk to me. And if it is a like a serious question or something, I will uh, uh, answer it even at 10 o'clock at night or whatever. I mean, I've literally like hopped on the phone before with people that have bought my guitar like literally from ESP and like bought my guitar and then they posted it and then hashtagged and, or had a question in their comment. And I'd literally like call them on Facebook and be like, dude, you'll never believe this, but this is me. Thank you for buying my guitar. I, I wanted to just like literally thank you. And here's the question. Here's the answer to your question. And this is how I do it. Like who cares? Like it, it takes four seconds to be cool. But you know, what's really funny is that like, I feel like I always put myself out there Yet I'm the one who always is like, I saw Ken once and he walked out of a club and I tried to talk to him and he like, yeah, dude, me as he was walking by. And I'm like, yeah, well, sometimes and I always do write this online. It's like, well, sometimes I might be in a meeting. I might literally get off my tour bus and be on the call, be on a call with Larry Fishman and my COO and talking about something super important. And I'd be like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be back in an hour or something, you know, like I'm not trying to be a dick, but sometimes I have like important stuff that I got to do. And I can't like actually get away from my phone or something. But people sometimes are like, oh, you know, Ken, I saw Ken once he was an asshole. He walked by me and he, didn't, he never took the phone off his head. And it's like, yeah. that's not me, but it is me when I have to be. Yeah. Well, I think like that's that's the hard thing. And, you know, I was actually talking about it on the episode I just posted, which now that I've been doing these so kind of infrequently instead of doing like four or five in a day and then like two or three the next day, uh, you know, the the intros and outros and the things we're talking about and even referencing them it's like yeah this is like days ago that you know i'm talking about but it, it it's even been that way for me sometimes doing this show trying to do a week in and week out thing where it's like yeah like someone might see me at a show and they're trying to talk to me and i'm like yeah man, I, I gotta go and it's like because i have to be and do this thing at a show so it's like i may not see you or you know i can think of like one time i think you were out with all that remains 
and you and I were going to hang. And then you're like, oh, shit, I got to do some fishman shit. And then, oh, you know, the show happened and yeah, I just don't have time to hang. And I'm like, it happens, dude. Like, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I think- and I remember that specifically because you're always a person I want to see. But it literally just worked out that day that I was just like surrounded in bullshit all day. And it just sucked. But I think the other thing is you and this sounds like so cringy to say it like this, but I think something that I've come to learn from having friends in the touring industry or just being having people who are just generally busy people, it's not personal. Like, and that's the thing no. is like, I feel like so many people take things so personally nowadays and it's like, it's not like, and you know, if it was like, I would hope. And thankfully most of the people that I know in my life that are these kind of people, they are the people who can be like, dude, I, I would love to hang, but like, I am just in it right now, like another time or like, let's reconvene in like a week. And it's like, totally get it. Like, thanks for saying that <laughs> yeah. versus making me feel like, like, I don't want to say there's a resentment on, on the side of it, but like feeling like it's like, <sighs> I have to do this, even though I have a million other things that really are more important, but I'm going to do this cause it's the homie and I'm just going to do it. And it's like, no, like, I mean, even when we were setting this up, I was like, I'd love to have you back on. If it doesn't work out and you just want to do it after you get back when your schedule is like less crazy, let's just do that. But like, yeah. thankfully we found a, a time to make it work. And, you know, I've been enjoying chatting as we all, I always do with you because it's always fun. And, you know, it's something I always joke <coughs> with people too, you know, being an East coaster originally, and I'll never identify as, I mean, I live in the Midwest, but like, I don't, I still always identify as an East coaster at heart that it's like, there's something very tribalistic in when you meet East coast people, like we just kind of are cut from the same cloth and I don't really know how to describe it any other way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's a, uh, the thing that I do like about Boston and New York, like some of my good friends are like, you know, Mitts from Madball or, you know, guys like Hoyo or just, you know, you know, Warren Lee or like, like people like that or in the area or just, you know, the townies that I grew up with. There's just, I was saying this to my best friend the other day. It's like, there is just something that happens with people that just makes you um, understand that they're your people and you, and everyone is kind of like in that sync with each other. I like, I, this is a, this is kind of like an old man perspective, but I just started having thoughts like this, but I remember like, I I never really like picked on anybody. I never bullied anybody in like high school, even though I was like a, a you know a jock and a musician and whatever. But uh, I never liked it when people like bullied others and I I you know diffuse situations or whatever. But you can't not recognize that there's a kid in your class that you know is either slow or you know they don't have it all there or. They, they just yeah. get picked on or whatever it is. And you recognize it for what it is. But I remember saying like to somebody the other day, we we're talking about uh, I'm doing a band and, and I'll, I'll tell you about it uh, in a little bit, but it was just kind of like a generality, a quite a thing that I said, it's like, I'm so world traveled at this point that sometimes when you just grow up in the same town as somebody, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Even if they're the, you know, they were the town complete dork. They're your dork because in the grand scheme of the world, they're still your time. They're still part of you. They're still a piece of you though. That kid who was like not cool in high school and got picked on or whatever is technically your like not cool kid. And you should embrace that. And you should never like not be cool like with them because of that. Cause they're from your hometown. They've drank the same water. They went to the same school. They, they experienced a lot of the same things you experienced just in a different way. And, um, you know, I, I recently, you, 
this is going to kind of go full circle with the, uh, the thing that you were just talking about, about, you know, um, about, you know, uh, doing whatever I want. Um, I had a best friend in high school. His name is Robbie, uh, Robbie, let's call him Robbie Roadsteamer. I won't give out his full name. Uh, Robbie Roadsteamer <laughs> and I were, were the, uh, we're best friends. We our, our goal in life was to be the John Lennon and Paul McCartney of poop humor. We wanted to be, we were like cutting edge. We were like before Adam Sandler was like doing comedy, like albums and stuff with his guitar and singing funny songs. We, our ambition was to be like, write funny fucking songs. So we put out a, a record uh, called the sweat pant boners. And at the yep. time I was meeting yep. Adam D and, uh, and Adam just was like, Hey, can I play drums on this? You don't have a drummer. And it was just fun. We made him a part of the band and we did that record. Adam didn't do anything other than play on the record. He didn't like write any of the bits, but we, we obviously included him in some. Uh, and then after that, uh, I couldn't, my, my career was going like pretty well with Unearth, And I told Robbie, like, we can't have the sweat pant boners anymore you got to be Robbie road steamer, like name the project Robbie road steamer, because at this point it's you, it's your show. And I still helped write. We still built the band and the band did very well in Boston selling out the paradise, like became Robbie was on like the radio and TV. And he, you know, he's, he's done, he's a comedian. So he's done big, big, big things, but he, he and I drifted apart like for years and years and years and for maybe 15 years at this point. And there was no animosity but there was some like weirdness, like, you know, in the background that I was hearing, like Rob said this about you or Rob said this about this guy or whatever, you know, it's all whatever. It's all hearsay. But at the end of the day, I just played a show with Swivel and he popped up out of nowhere. I haven't seen him in 15 years. Now, mind you, we spent every day together. We played Little League Baseball together and we spent every day together in high school writing songs and shedding and uh, and writing bits all the way into our 20s. At one point, like him just popping in front of me. I was literally, I came to the conclusion, like life's too short. Like I put my little cousin in that band. He's older now. And I'm like, I want my cousin. My cousin just lost his dad, my uncle. And it was like a really sad, like family thing that our families were a little bit divided for at one point. And I said, like, Robbie, you couldn't came, you couldn't have come back into my life at a better time. I said, we're doing the sweatband boners. And I said, and I'm, and I want my cousin to play in the band too. And he was all psyched. And I'm like, this is important to me at this point because the world is like, you know, centered around censorship and, and being stiff and there's no fun. And I said, like the sweatpants boners stood for like funny things. You could say anything and wouldn't get canceled or whatever. I mean, we have a song called save your virginity till we come to your town, or I put a baby in you or pee with your father. These songs are like monumental to people from Boston that grew up in the scene that like love that band. But to be totally honest with you, you could try to cancel me, but I wrote these songs when I was fucking 16 years old and it's time to fucking play them again because, you know, people love them. And we're all hometown kids. We're all like of the same mindset. So it's like, talk about like, you know, if there's people online saying like, oh, Ken's doing this because it's a payday or whatever. I'm I'm doing, I'm going to be doing the sweatpants boners too. Not, you know, like I'm doing as I lay dying. Yeah. And you'll see me at a local venue playing with the sweatpants boners too. So don't be surprised if you see me playing, you know, some hundred cap or a 600 cap club in Boston. It's like, I do what I want. I think, you know, as I get older and it just becomes this thing where I feel like, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail right on the head. You know, life is short. Just kind of do what you want. And, you know, it's like for a while, I think. God, it just sounds so fucking stupid to say it like this, but it's like there's so many people like thr- from doing this. And I, I, I blame that literally episode 400 is like two weeks ago. So I'm still in like a weird nostalgic like 
seven years almost in like 400 episodes and crazy like where this fucking thing has taken me and all this kind of stuff. But it's also a thing where like the amount of people that are like a part of my life now that I never thought I would have talked to like I can almost all the people that are like friends now I can kind of pinpoint it back to like a weird fan moment where it's like you played here in town and I remember like waiting for you to get done with the show so I could be like dude I'm trying to find like the burn your wishes stuff can you send it to me because I can't find it anywhere. And you were like, stop for me. I remember you just were like, really? And I was like, yeah, I really like those those songs. And like, I can't find them anywhere. Like, not even to download. I didn't understand you could download off of YouTube in a really crude way. But uh, <laughs> I'm like, going to yeah, put those you- out on, on Spotify soon. Yeah. But I just remember you were like, yeah, man, here's my email. Email me in like a couple of days. Uh, I'll send you all the tracks I got. And it was just like a thing where it's like, I have so many experiences like that, where it's like something that I think is cool or just like, it's whatever because I happened to find it. And it's like that in a weird nutshell is kind of the impetus of like where we are now. And it's yeah. weird to think because it's like you could have just been like, dude, I just got done playing like a fucking hour set. I'm hot and sweaty. I got to load out. Uh, we got to do all this other shit. You could have blown me off, but it's like and kind of bringing it back full circle to all the people like, dude, Ken just fucking blew me off for nothing. It's like you also point proven were like so like, oh, shit this weird little thing I did that like hardly anyone knows about. All right. Yeah. I'll send you whatever we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I am, uh, I, the, you know, whatever, if you catch me at the, you know, at a time where I remember, or if you remind me, I'll do whatever. I don't, I don't really care. I, I, I just think again, like for those, the people that hold grudges and that are just shitty in general, like there's reasons to close the chapter on things for sure, for good reason. And then maybe like in a scenario where you're like, well, if there's no apology or if there's no common ground at a later date, I'll just never revisit this thing again. But then sometimes like the world brings you full circle back for a reason. There may be a time like, for instance, like and I'm just throwing throwing this out there, maybe in 10, 15 years or whatever, like on Earth, there's there's a real reason for us to get back together with the original lineup and do it. I would, you know, like maybe if my life's in the right place, I'll do it. Um, You know, I'm not looking to do that anytime soon. But uh, but I, I would just say that, um, I, you know, it's always open, but it's life's too short to hold grudges and life's too short to hate it. It takes more energy to hate somebody than to either just ignore it and focus on the good or just, you know, ca- or just be positive. You know, it takes it actually takes more effort to hate and to obsess than it does to just be happy. So I try to focus on being as positive and happy as possible and do the right things for me. I I've learned in a little bit like older, like as I get a little bit older, I'm realizing that like, Hey, this hasn't been good for me. Um, I have to remove myself, you know, or, or I have to like step away from something in order to be happy myself, which sometimes when you're a part of something like, let's face it. Some people don't get to do one great thing their whole life. Right. right. And for me, I've done multiple great things. Uh, I was lucky enough to be a part of like great sports teams and great, like, you know, things in general, like a successful product line and a great band. And like, I have so much to be thankful for uh, that I never forget. But on the other hand, it's like, you got to sometimes like look out for yourself and not be scared to remove yourself from something if it's not doing the thing for you. I think like that's, I mean, especially as I'm getting ready to leave like a job where like I 
have been busting my ass to 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 be the guy and to you know always wondering and worrying like not worrying wondering like could i be the person that like is the boss where everyone goes to can i lead a store can i lead a team and be successful and you know even though it's only been you know five six months or so you know you don't get to be store manager you know store manager general manager of the district you know two weeks in a row if you suck uh you don't have people who are like you know it really sucks that you're gonna leave and having like you or boss and then your boss's boss come to your store and be like you know what you're doing here is like just we really don't want to see you go because like you have really turned some shit around but at the end of the day like i had that i came to that same conclusion where it's like it's not sometimes things aren't worth it and if you're not happy then no amount of success or any of the things that you think you're going to give up it's, it's the fear of the unknown basically um it's just not worth it and you know even when you and i were kind of talking on, on that you know as lay dying run when you were here there was something I had asked you and I'm going to prose it again to you. Cause what you said, I thought was so profound and, and I'll expound on it. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell the story and then I want you to kind of uh, expound upon it a yeah. little bit more. Cause I think there is more to it, but I think it speaks to a bigger narrative of getting older. So, you know, I had asked you, um, you know, how was the tour going and stuff like that. And, you know, I think at the time you were still kind of debating whether, you know, you could do double duty uh, where you are at with all that. And I asked you a weird question and I said, you know, as someone who's gone through therapy and, you know, something about going to therapy has taught me that there are moments where you don't realize they're as impactful uh, in in the moment. But when you look back on it, you realize like how profound of it, like this was the moment that changed so much of my life moving forward or things that happened wouldn't have happened had I not done this thing. I can pinpoint it back to this one instance. And I go, you know, too often in times, you know, and, and I've said this a bunch uh, on the show that, you know, I, I, it's weird sometimes listening to Doc Coyle's show and listening to some of the bands that, you know, you guys all came up with. And a lot of those people that are on those shows, you know, they still, oh, well, if the label didn't fuck us, if, you know, these things didn't, like, there's no ownership of, of what has happened in their career. And I do understand that those things happen, but I had asked you, I go, is there a point in your career where on earth could have gone here and just the trajectory would have kept going up where you were kind of heading or a <laughs> moment where you feel like if we didn't make this one decision, like it, it really impacted our career that much. And you said a hundred percent. And yeah. you go, Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was us not taking taste of chaos. And yep. I remember saying, really, you can pinpoint it to that one show, that one tour. And you go, well, who were the bands that took those tours? And I go, out of your scene, Killswitch and Esley Dying. You go, and where are they? And I go, well, <laughs> I mean, and he goes, what about all the bands that did? And I think because the competing tour, I think at the time was the, uh, oh, Jesus, I was just talking to someone. About no, the no, there, there's no, no, that's the sad part. There was no competing tour. We took a different, different tour. And I, I will yeah, say this. The, yeah, Sounds of the Underground is what yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, we did we did Sounds of the Underground uh a year uh like a year before, or whatever, but okay. yeah, so so I'll I'll answer I'll I'll kind of uh elaborate on that. So yes, specifically in my head, in two thousand whatever it was, six I think it was or whatever, we got asked or five, we got asked to play Taste of Chaos as like a pre tour thing. Like, uh, like it was, it was just like a one show one off in Jersey. And I remember we played like Salt Lake city and we drove 48 hours there and we just did this one show, whatever. It's like crazy, crazy drive just to go there and get that opportunity. And we did it and it was unbelievable. 
and it was documented and all that stuff. And uh, at the time, uh, I remember our we just put out Eyes of Fire, or we were going to put out Eyes of Fire, and Brian Slagle definitely pulled some strings to get us on a Slayer tour. And my mindset always was Slayer's one of the sickest bands in history, but they have such a neat a niche uh, uh, a fan base where you know it's either they like you and they'll. I guess, you know, deal with you for the hour that you're playing or they'll turn their back on you and flip you off. Right. And like, because Slayer is Slayer. Like you could, like I told Tom Maria once, like you could just yell war ensemble in a mall and people fucking probably go crazy. Old ladies would probably be stabbing other old ladies. Like I like Slayer is one of my all time favorite bands. And I desperately wanted to go on tour with them. Slagle pulled all the strings, but we also had a parallel um, offer from taste of chaos and I knew that meant like youthful fans, warp tour, other opportunities were tied to it. And it was so important to do. But my band was just so convinced at the time that we wrote a, a, a metal record. We're a metal band. And there was a lot of that like um, chest, like fist to chest pounding that happened internally, even with our management at the time, Paul Conroy, who was a great manager. He was like, you're a metal band now. And everybody was on the we're a metal band now thing. And I was like, no, we're still 25 and we're still young kids. And to metal fans, we're not like necessarily your quintessential, like, you know, like a machine head looking band, like where everyone has long hair and leather straps on their wrist or, or children of Bodom or something like that. We weren't that band. And I'm saying to myself, we're still youthful and like, we should stick around youth a little bit more just for, especially for this tour. But my band was like dead set against it. And I remember being like, guys, it's a mistake. It's a mistake, a mistake. And no one, no one listened to me and it's fine. And we did the Slayer tour and it was pretty good. And uh, it, it, you know, it moved the needle for us for sure in that direction a little bit, but it was, it was an uphill climb versus, uh, you know, Taste of Chaos would have been just like a slam dunk uh, as far as the fan base. And we would have been a heavier band on a lighter package, but in, I specifically remember as I lay down getting our slot and they went on to abs like absolute massive heights. They, they killed after that tour, their career was just so set up after that. Then they were doing warp tour and then they were doing all these major things that band headlined over on earth at the palladium after that tour. And that, and that was in our hometown when we were a big ass band. And I was saying to myself, like, we made a mistake. I thought we made a mistake, but you know, to each his own. If you, I'm sure if you ask like Trevor or buzz about it, they'll say the Slayer, Ken's crazy. The Slayer tour did great. And you know, whatever they, they, everyone remembers history a little different. My, what you, yeah, you, what you said was like pinpoint accurate. That was the moment I knew we made a, a, a wrong decision that could have like actually took us onto a different thing, you know? So I think to me, what was really profound about it and the reason I wanted to bring it up because as someone, you know, I know I, and I say it like this and I don't mean to make it sound discouraging to people, but it's like, I know what therapy did for me. And so I love talking about it because it maybe will give someone the permission to seek that for themselves and, and get better themselves and get the tools to make more informed better decisions as, as life goes on. But I think the other thing about it that was so profound when you said it and when I asked you was that like you had a moment and you were able to kind of, you know, take ownership of it yourself and just kind of be like, I mean, we made the decision. We ended up doing this. 
and yeah and all those kind of things and to me i thought that was so it was so invigorating to hear someone be like instead of being like oh well the label pushed us like all the excuses and shucking responsibility that essentially like even in in hindsight you were still like i mean it's what we chose to do and you know at the end of the day like yeah. i can't can't put the blame on anyone else because we all agreed to do it and it, yeah. it's a thing to me where you know i know a lot of young you know bands listen to this and unsigned bands and so forth and to me i feel like having that willingness to to understand that like you have a hand in your career and that you can make decisions and ultimately you have to be willing to live by them if they don't end up being right is equally as important of a lesson to learn not even just as a band person just as a fucking person like that's a yeah. life thing that you should learn is to to take ownership of your role in your own life versus shucking it off and being like well someone else made me do this and it's like no one makes you do anything you don't want to do no i was i was outvoted but uh, but also like it wasn't like the second opportunity wasn't awesome anyway who wouldn't want to go on tour with slayer so at the end of the day i knew it was a big mistake but i was definitely like yeah well you know i love slayer so let's see what happens the band really is adamant sometimes you got to say to yourself too like maybe i'm not seeing something that everybody else is seeing and when there's like five or six guys around me saying like dude you're wrong and and like sometimes you have to look at the consensus of the group and say maybe i am wrong maybe i you know but maybe i was the voice of reason but i was definitely outvoted but ultimately i still like signed my name to the paper and said guys like let's do it and i hate to say it if this was a sports team and i was the captain and i had to go in front of press i would have said the same thing everybody else would say is like, yeah, you know, like puck didn't bounce our way and you know, we didn't make the passes, but like, you know, and next year we're going to, we're going to come back, you know, more fired up than ever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what do you, what do you say? You say the canned fucking shit. But I mean, if I didn't do that tour, I never would have met like Harry King and I would have never like gotten to know those guys. And it, it, you know, I love those. I love Slayer. They're like just unbelievable, but yeah, like, on Earth didn't do Warp Tour. We did Warp Tour in like 2001 or 2002, like as a like a one show in Boston, and then we didn't get invited back all the way until 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 2018 uh, at the beginning of the uh, Extinctions album cycle. Uh, that's when we got the invite back. So I think not do, turning down Taste of Chaos probably was there was, there was probably a big thing there. You know, a reason why we we didn't get on Warp Tour, which. Would have been really nice to be on that festival. Can I, you know, can I ask a a, a hard question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously the new Unearth record is out. Um, you know, it's been getting critically a ton of praise. You know, a lot of people are kind of calling it the comeback record for the band and so forth. And I, I feel like everyone knows this at this point, but like you weren't on it at all. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but is it, is it a little bit bittersweet to see such praise and everything coming from a project that you were at the foundation and beginning from and seeing like the success and everything that's happening since you've been gone? Is it a little bittersweet to see it? Um, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like, it's good. I, I, again, I'm, I'm like rooting them on, on the sideline. I'm, I'm happy. Like I, I'm actually, I have seen, uh, people write about like reviews and saying it's a comeback record, but, uh, that's fine. That's awesome. Like, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I remember that kind of talk around extinctions too, as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember people saying that about extinctions too. And, and, uh, 
but this one is definitely uh, doing well for them too. So I hope that their record continues to do be successful. And I hope that they're uh, continue to be successful. I definitely hear like a lot of the, um, you know, new infused, like, like Will Putney kind of stuff in there, uh, you know, alongside of like the buzz thing, like the, you know, he's known for the fit for an autopsy kind of metal and the sound of the band is definitely different. The, um, I would say that even the, um, how do I explain it? The, uh, the message of the band is more, is, is, uh, actually more there, more apparent than it ever was. Uh, so they're definitely on a path of what they're doing and they're into what they're doing. And I'm glad it's working for them. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I know the records like based around, uh, Trevor's been saying it's based around like, you know, uh, global warming and, you know, the, you know, the world, uh, you know, it's, it's no different than I think where he probably went lyrically with the oncoming storm and he's been doing it ever since, but it seems like he's a little more forward with it in, in that type of stuff. So I, you know, I applaud them for whatever, whatever they've got going on seems to be working and uh, it's good. I, I heard a little bit of the record. It sounds like an unearth record. So I'm psyched. And if it like took me, to not be in the band for them to write a great record or whatever, then that's awesome too. Like who cares? Like people, like I, I want to see my friend succeed. It doesn't matter if it's on earth or every time I die or what was every time I die now, better lovers or Dillinger mm-hmm. or kill switch or anybody I grew up with. Like I, last thing I want to see the, the, I would actually probably feel worse if I left the band and on earth put out the worst record that they ever put out. I'd actually mm-hmm. feel way worse if that happened because I'd be like, God, like, you know, I didn't want the band to end like this or something or whatever. But like, since like Buzz is a totally like good writer and uh, Nick like played the, you know, helped him write that record, Nick Pierce. So it's very, in my opinion, uh, it's very similar to like what you got on Watchers of Rule. So if you like, like Watchers of Rule, like the, you know, real tech heavy forward stuff intricate like you know sweepy parts and guitar riffs and like in the songs like that's 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 really what buzz provides and he's he's good at that and uh will definitely shaped it a certain way too to have a certain vibe so uh i you know i think it's cool i'm i'm psyched they're doing well for sure it's always interesting because i think there's uh, and again kind of coming at it now since i asked the question here's kind of where like the impetus of my question really came from is not a lot of people get to be such an an integral part of something to literally be at its birth and inception, but then also get to step away from it while it still continues without them and seeing how this thing has now changed. Because I think when, and again, this is from someone who's not been in your shoes in this, but thinking about, what it would be like to be in your shoes where you're like, this is going to be the first, like, you know, you're, you're experiencing, like I was saying earlier, so many firsts now, 20 years into a career that's pretty established. So this is going to be the first time, you know, like you got to see your band play without you for the first time. And more as a fan, <laughs> you got to yeah. now hear a record, an unearth record without you on it for the first time. Like, and to me, I think that there's the human side of it where I'm just like, what is it like? How, how, does it feel to, to kind of see something from a, a whole new perspective than you've ever seen it before? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's actually funny that you say that. Like I saw them play in Munich as LA dying was, uh, we're playing in, um, we were, uh, sorry, 
before a tour, we like rented like this massive room to do pre-production in. We were there for like two or three days and on earth we played like one of the stages at the backstage in Munich, um, not the main stage, but the other stage. And I got to see them play. And that was like weird. It, it was like weird to see them play without me, of course, but I was definitely like happy for them that it was still like happening. Like, so uh, that was that, you know, that is a first for me. I saw them play at the Worcester Palladium upstairs, uh, you know, and like I, I've seen them a couple times. So uh, I saw them play with Killswitch recently. So I've seen them a few times. And again, I'm still there to support. Um, so, but yeah. Did I lose you? Hey, you still there? Yep, still here. Hey, you still there? Sorry about that. I got a call. Um, no worries. so now that, there, now that there's a record out, uh, that that's out there that I'm not a part of, it is exactly like what I thought it was going to be. It's a good record. It's just like a, a, a strong, like what buzz does record, uh, musically, uh, and like obviously infused with like the Will Putney thing. If you listen to like, um, you know, Darkness in the Light, that record I had like a, a heavy hand in, uh, Oncoming Storm, Buzz and I wrote like, you know, half skis on that probably. Uh, you know, Watch the Rule was definitely a buzz heavy record. Um, you know, uh, Extinctions was like half and half. Uh, buzz wrote a lot of, um, what do you want to call it? We wrote, um, I think I wrote like a, you know, helped write my will be done, but wrote like crow killer, but buzz had a heavy hand in like the March. So there's always been times where like buzz would write a lot or I would write a lot and then like vice versa or would work together. So this is like exactly what I would expect from an all buzz record uh, for sure. And it's like, I'm a fan. Like there's reasons why I played with buzz years ago like he and i like wrote we had good writing chemistry together so what am i gonna do like hate what he does now that i'm not in the band it's stupid <laughs> like like he he's a good writer uh and so am i and i think when you hear the new as i lay dying record you're gonna be like holy shit like this sounds like as i lay dying but man like this is this is cool there's stuff everywhere you know so i think you're just gonna like you haven't you know we all haven't heard everything out there but i'm really i'm i'm excited for them like, I, I really am like Trevor's doing the thing he wants to do. He's talking outwardly about the things he wants to talk about. Um, you know, maybe he and I don't align when it comes to like, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, like like what, you know, the content. But ultimately, he and I have been coexisted for in a band uh, for years together. And I love him like a brother. And Buzz, same thing. It's like they're doing what they want to do. They're they're on a very heavy touring cycle. Uh, you know, they, before their album came out, they put out like four videos. They did a bunch of tours. They're still touring They're It seems like they're, they're playing nonstop and I would never want them to not do what they want to do. I would never want to see them fail. They're just like they're brothers. So there's no point. I think it brings me to something I wanted to talk about. Cause you know, I love, following bands into their other bands because I think it showcases more of what that person brings to the band. So, you know, like a great example is, you know, Brandon from Atreyu, you know, when he was doing uh, his side project, which is now hell or high water and just be able to kind of see him exploring more of like anthemic rock and like being more of a f front man that we 
didn't know he would become later on. But it's always interesting to kind of follow bands and the people in bands into their side projects and be like, all right, what are you bringing to this? Like, what is another side of you that maybe you don't get to showcase as much in the band that you're most known for? And I think it's been interesting because like most of your deviations away from Unearth have been so far removed from Unearth. You know, you look at a band like, you know, Burn Your Wishes, which is, I mean, everything's kind of always honestly based in like late 80s, early 90s, like music. Like it's like, it's either kind of shreddy, like guitar solos and stuff like that, or it's like kind of in that like mid 90s alt rock space. Like even some of the USA, USA, USA stuff, it's like you could say that it's heavily influenced by like Eddie money, like late eighties, early, like early nineties, Eddie money. But I also kind of hear like some gin blossoms kind of in some <laughs> of the arrangements and, and song structures and so forth. And I mean, even with swivel, it's like, it seems like that, like I'll say that like 10 year gap of like the eighties to early nine, like probably like 82 to 92, maybe like give or take a year in either direction. I feel like is when you're not, doing something heavy like that's kind of the your main era of like where it seems like you draw the most inspiration from yeah well th it's funny that you say that that's those are the most uh formative uh, uh times in my life i i would say i was the most spongy at that time and i see bands like throw back and do that kind of music like 80s or 90s or whatever and i'm always saying to myself like yeah that like okay cool you're writing like in the spirit of but it's not really how it was. And, uh, I, it, you know, when I'm writing metal, it's really funny. There's times where I'll like be in the middle of like writing a whole record and I'm just metal, metal, metal. And then there's little blurps of like space where I'll go downstairs to go do something. And then I'm like, wait a second, like I have this great song in my head, in my brain, when I'm focused on one thing, it always wants to go to the other. And then when I'm writing light stuff, I'm always like, oh my God, I have this great metal song in my head. So I actually kind of like bounce back and forth. And my whole philosophy on um, music is, especially side bands, is that I hate when I hear another metal band of a metal band guy. And then I also hate when a metal band guy is like, oh, rock's so easy to write and anyone can do that. And I'm just going to do a rock record and it's bad. And they never put it out. Like so many metal guys always show me their rock thing. And I'm like, Yes, terrible. And it never comes out. My thing is that I know that I'm a good songwriter. I've been asked to do co-writes for like major, major artists that I I, I can't disclose here because I'm under con under NDA to like say, you know, like I can't say what I've written on. But um, but it's definitely one of those things where um, there's no sense in hearing a side band if the band's not different from what you currently do. I could literally go out right. and write another unearth record and slap a new label on it or something and have everyone be like, Oh, this is the Ken Susie on earth project or whatever. Or, you know, it's just dumb. I want you to, I want you to get to know me as this like other thing. Like I have a comedy band. I have a kind of a Eddie money, like, you know, rockish kind of band. Uh, I also have like a grunge band and like, you know, I've done singer songwriting like kind of stuff. So that kind of, that stuff excites me taking risks excites me. I don't care what people say about me or, or what they think of me. I just kind of like, like to write the thing, a good song's a good song. And I like the thing that I, you know, I like to write whatever the thing it is that that's in my head. I mean, I have this burn your wishes song that literally has been sitting on the table for maybe a decade. And it's like very like late nineties kind of vibe. And it's awesome. 
but I was like, I don't know. The other day I was listening to demos and I was like, holy shit, I forgot about the song. And it's that good. Like I remember, I showed it to the producer that I was working with um, Esley Dying on. And I was like, what do you think of this? And he's like, God damn it. He's like, that fucking chorus is amazing. And I'm like, cool. And I'm like, you think oh, I should yeah. just put this out? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you, he's like, I'm like, do you think I should just put this out or is it weird? And he's like, yeah, fucking whatever. He's like, why, why, why not show the world something that's cool? Like, fuck it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like, uh, there's a kid that lives like on my way to my job, and so to get him to show up, I usually pick him up <laughs> and bring him home. And it's funny because like sometimes I'll be listening to a lot of like throwback rap and stuff like that. And then like the other day, because I've just been on this like huge dirt uh, kick by Alice in Chains, um, and it's it's funny because like listening to it, I, like I know James from Eighteen Visions was like a big fan of uh, of Alice in Chains and so forth, obviously. But it's funny because like when listening to like Rain When I Die and some of the other songs on Dirt, I'm starting to like notice so many other people in like hardcore doing some of these like kind of weird vocal melodies and so forth. And I'm like, oh, dude, I bet they are heavily inspired by Alice Chains now that I'm really digging into it from a songwriting perspective and just like cramming really hard. So it's a uh, it was crazy <laughs> to like see and think about it from like that perspective where I'm just like, oh, man, this is a. It's crazy to go back and start kind of doing your due diligence and seeing like where other people are getting inspiration from. That's not very obvious. And that's why, like I said, following you in throughout yeah. your side gigs, basically, it's always been interesting to see like, okay, here's like a like I said, a little bit of Eddie Money. And here's like, a, like even lyrically, I feel like Eddie Money is like up your, up your bag because it's low-key kind of funny and a little dirty at times. <laughs> So, so, uh, yeah, so I was super fucking drunk once backstage and like, let me just say this, like I spent, like I said, we started this podcast off with, I told everybody that Frank Fino is my best friend. I mean, he's a crooner, his band, Waltham, one of my favorite bands that never made it. Uh, he loved Eddie money and he got me into Eddie money. I mean, I was always in Eddie money, but he got me into like looking at Eddie money as a religious figure. Like, uh, you know, we, whenever he played Hampton beach casino, which he would only play Hampton beach casino. Cause he, obviously the good time, there's like good times up there in, in uh, New Hampshire, but, um, he would fucking like get up there and he would like get his tambourine and throw it in the air and say, I wrote this song three rehabs ago. Woo. You know? And like, just, he, he was all about the good times and there was nothing but like horny, like old, old cougars there. And it was just such a great environment to where I was like, I'm going every year that Eddie money's here. Like, I don't give a shit. He is, this is rock and roll church, you know? So, uh, you know, I would be backstage and I'd be drunk. And I remember playing this massive festival and I put on, um, uh, there's a song. The lyrics are like cool water. Uh, once got once. Yeah. One shot a man in the Mexican bar. I started like, screaming the lyrics from my for my dressing room and some one of the other texts that was just on the tour on whatever festival came running in the room he's like who's fucking singing that thinking he was gonna be bummed and i was like me and he's like he just rolled up to me and hugged me and he's like god damn it he's like because that's a b-side you know and he's like it's, i'm not singing take me home tonight i'm singing a fucking legit any yeah. money deep cut and he's just like i toured with him for fucking blah 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 and i made a friend out of it but it, like dude i love i worship I worship Eddie money. I worship like people don't know this, but like all my stage moves, I'm sorry, dude. Like, like I'm, this is going to be probably the most polarizing thing that I'm <laughs> or poignant thing. I'm going to say on, on this podcast is that like, I grew up listening to like bands like kiss and Cinderella and, and iron maiden. Like I, like my metal got infused with glam 
like yeah. very early on. And I'll say that like guitar spins and shit that I've always done on stage. Like I, I don't remember anybody in the scene doing it when I was doing it, me and buzz, but like I was spinning my guitar around in 1997 and, and like people I'm sure did it or whatever, but like I wanted to bring it back because Cinderella was like the band that I always remembered spinning their guitars around. They, they had less Pauls and they would spin them and throw them. And all the stage antics that I would do is just like a product of like watching kiss and Van Halen and, and like all these bands and just being like, I want to live. I want to live like, like that. I want to live like, so like being creative and letting people like, like I want someone to watch me from the audience and go, I know a kid that looks just like him and we hang out with him and we drink with him and, and like, they want, like, I want to put off the vibe. Like I'm a townie dude. Who's just kind of cool to hang out with or put off of maybe an arrogant Massachusetts vibe thing. But if you're from Massachusetts, you're like, ah, I I have a friend, his name's this. And he says these things, right. And he talks like Ken. And um, that's my, that's kind of like my persona. So all the shit that I do is like, stuff that like I felt like I brought back from the, from the, you know, from the fun times of the eighties and uh, you know, and I don't remember too many people like blowing kisses and metal to girls in the audience. I don't remember too many guys <laughs> spinning guitars around, uh, but they do now because it's cool. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say that I brought it back per se, but I'm going to say that I was like, I would like to say I was one of the, maybe the icebreakers to bring all that like kind of fun shit back in the metal at one point. I think it was, I mean, we brought beer from CK that we're doing. Yeah. We brought the bitch blips as he was talking. Yeah. We brought beer bongs on stage and shit. You know, it's like, it was like beastie boys and shit, you know, like, like stuff like that. Like, fuck it. We, that's why they called us fun earth because we just like, we like to have fun, but you know, you know, whatever it was, what it was. Yeah, I uh, I was trying to remember what "Shaken" is the Eddie Money song I was referring to. I mean, yeah, the only the only the, I'm sorry, the only song in rock history to say her tits were shaking until the middle of the night in a fucking radio song. Are you shitting me, Eddie? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> we got so high we had to pull it to the side. Her tits were shaking in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, what what radio? Why didn't the radio ban it? Oh, because the song was that fucking awesome. Yeah. Like Eddie Money, Brian Adams. Like, I'm still I still listen to that type of shit. If Dude. you if anybody did da- if if anybody dares to fucking go to my Spotify and literally listen to my playlist that I make for myself, your mind will melt. Cause I have like, I listen to, I have a metal playlist. I have a yacht rock playlist. I have a nineties. We call it the mixer. Me and Fred from, uh, from, uh, he was playing in prong, but, uh, Fred Ziumik, he played in darkest hour. He's, uh, one of my buds. We made a nineties mixer with all the shitty nineties music, like collective soul and like crappy, like, you know, uh, third eye blind. We listen to that shit. I have an old standards playlist. I have this, uh, new, playlist that i just made called am i okay and it's just the <laughs> fucking weird bird music that i listen to that no one knows that i listen to i am a huge i am a huge um geneva jacuzzi fan uh fucking you i'm probably gonna i'm dropping names that you never heard of but like there's a new band called um fucking model actress uh, uh pom-pom squad uh sloppy jane uh ariel pink 
uh god it even goes back to the yeah it goes back to the 80s too like uh even like craft work and um and uh what's his name um oh my god the guy with the weird hair in the um close close know me like i listen to bizarre fucking shit you should check out that playlist sometime it'll fucking burn your head dude that's like it's funny because like so again like people sometimes my phone will just play what i've been listening to or like uh whatever and so it's been funny like uh we're next week a friend of mine and i are gonna go to a tigers game because the braves are playing and that's my team and they're playing like midday on a wednesday so i was like it's my day off i'm just gonna fucking catch a baseball game in the middle of the day and fuck off and come back home at a normal time and then the friend that's going with me was like matchbox 20s playing that day do you want to go to that and i was like fuck yeah i do i was like dude hearing rob thomas the the fucking voice of an angel like playing live like i don't even know if it's still the same band or if he's like got a hired band at this point but like i don't give a shit like i fucking love this <laughs> matchbox point. and then it's like yeah. you were saying brian adams like the other day i've been going back and listening to uh 18 in life um and remembering when that record came out i was like why as like a fucking 12 year old kid did i love this record so much <laughs> Because you, you know like, waking why? up the neighbors. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just waking up the neighbors. That's why I love that one. Yeah, it was just that good, you know. The record, the records, the records back were the records back then were just that good. I feel like that's that's the weird thing, and it's something it's funny because you hit on something that I've talked about quite a bit. Because it's like uh, Brandon from Bleeding Through hit me up the other day and was like, "Hey, I'm managing this band, Salt Wound." Uh, they're really fucking cool. I think you would like them. With where you know they're in a little bit of a bidding war to get signed. You know we'd yeah. love to have them on your show. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like when I kind of figure out time I have available, like sure, whatever. And so it's funny as I was like listening to it, I was thinking to myself like how funny it is that I can go from like metal or like aggressive, like just fucking ignorant, like Kate, like as Joss would call like caveman metal and shit. And it's funny to me because like a lot of people like i don't understand why you don't like this style of music or why you don't really fuck with this stuff and i go you have to remember like growing up in the 80s it's like everything had a pop tinge to it like even the metal like you look at your cinderellas your rats your poisons your like fuck even van halen like everything had a sheen to it from a production standpoint and even just how it was presented and i was like so how would i not be influenced to like things with hooks and like good choruses and good songwriting you know, well, it's even even taking it a step further. Like it was funny. Like Phil from All the Remains tweeted the other day uh, something to the effect of like, because someone was like, "Oh, something about the difference between the the two eras of Van Halen." And I was like, "Van Halen with David Lee Roth is all about fun. If you just want to have fun, that's what that era is. If you want good songwriting, the same <laughs> Hagar yeah. era is definitely better." And I go, "And it's yeah. okay to like both for each reason. Like, if I want just fucking right. drinking some beers and having a good time, of course I'm going to throw on the first couple. <laughs> uh, I almost said Pantera, first couple of Van Halen records. But if I'm really interested in from like better songwriting, good song structures, vocal hooks, and stuff like that, I'm going Sammy ha- Hagar era all day long. Fifty One Fifty is like one of my favorite records uh, out of, of Van Halen, like complete records. I love Van. Yeah. I love both phases of Van Halen. Uh, See, same way I love both phases in, of. Be like my favorite song of theirs ever right right but also like i love i love van halen like how i love uh acdc it's like it's hard to hate any era of either band you know but um but yeah you're 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 totally right and and what you were saying a little bit earlier about like the sheen of music like even if you go and listen to the ramones or the clash or um even um what's that what was that um 
the Smiths or even oh god what a great uh, band yeah or or uh, uh what's that um who sings uh personal Jesus um oh, Depeche, um, Mode. Depeche Mode yeah or the Cure like any of these bands even though they were alternative and they were unique they were they were they were very glossy even the Ramones they they were very hooky uh, the Clash was very hooky so you know what it, people had more of a of a of a focus back then to understand what their place was, but to also and be unique about it. But then they were also like, yeah, but we still got to have a song like Cindy Lauper, for instance, or Michael Jackson or any of these, they were, they were almost like back then, even I was watching a video today, uh, boy, George, I was saying to myself, yeah. like, fuck, like boy, George had a, had a video. I can't even remember what I, which video I was watching today, but he was like walking around with his hat and he had his dreads and he was singing to men and he was dressed like a woman. And I was like, this guy, I mean, if, if it, you could compare the WWF at the time, which is now WWE yeah. or whatever to music in the sense that everyone had their own thing and they were all way ahead of their time, but they were also like nostalgic. Um, yeah. it, it was just so amazing how like, all these people were characters yet they wrote these amazing songs like the arrhythmics and like all this stuff like but the thing that like struck me the the most was like you know boy george out of all the videos i watched today i was saying to myself like holy shit like in the 80s this this you know this guy was a, identifying as a woman or or dressing as a woman i don't i don't i don't know um you know his, his sexual or her sexual orientation at the time but all i know is that it was pretty goddamn progressive and pretty cool to see boy George walking around singing to, you know, people from the opposite sex or the same sex and crooning each side or whatever, and just living life, you know, fluid and doing the thing that they do. And it was, it was just kind of like, it was amazing for, to be that progressive in the eighties and not to people pretty stiff back in the eighties, I would say, and oh, very opinionated. And it's cool to see that like someone like rose up from, whatever club or whatever VFW hall to become, you know, boy George and have massive hits and get to be themselves. Like what, what a, what a better story. There's no better story to write, you know? That's like, it's weird. You know, you saying you just went back and watched some music videos from back in the day. I had that same thing twice, uh, in the last couple of years, uh, one, a few years ago after, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came out the movie and that live aid, sequence like i remember watching that as a, a very very young kid um when i was at home and i have since gone on to watch it and i look at it in such a weirdly motivational fact facet where you know a lot of people like i look at it from a few different point viewpoints one of like shed ego like the band could have been like we're fucking queen we're not playing <laughs> in the middle of the day yeah, we're not playing 22 minute set. Fuck you. Yeah, we have to headline. Yeah, sure. And the fact that they come out and just fucking own a 22 minute set full of banger after banger after banger. Yeah, no stop the audience from from the jump till the end. And there is like, I know it's not the like the movie would have you seem like, oh, that was Eddie or uh, Eddie. That was uh Freddie's last show. It's like they did another tour after that. But it's like there's a sense of finality in it on a bigger, grander scale of like, this is probably the last time we're going to do this. Like there's probably yeah. the beginning of a lot of lasts. And it just has taught me when I watch that set to be like, it doesn't matter how small or insignificant the opportunity may seem. 
just go after it. Like it's the only opportunity you have because it might be. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, it's yeah, I was going to say, you know, what's funny about that tour too, is that like, I think one of the headliners was Led Zeppelin coming back from not having John Bonham. And I think that's right. what made them shut their whole operation down because it was not the same. I think they had yeah. Phil Collins playing drums or somebody else or whatever, but it's just like, if you watch that footage, you could tell how uneasy that band was. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a thing where like, I've been watching that since, since that movie, probably at least like once every two or three months. And I'm just, that's always what I pick out from. And it is like, whatever opportunity you have, just make the most of it and enjoy it and be in the moment. Um, yeah. And then the other one, and then this was actually literally last night. Uh, somehow I got rock with you by Michael Jackson, like stuck in my head. <laughs> and I just started watching the music video and I was like, God damn this fucking song. And like a lot of these songs. And then it reminded me of uh, watching the, this is it documentary. And what was always crazy about watching that is like, you know, with this podcast, a lot of times I talk to people who are so proficient at being a musician and something that is always interesting to me about when you watch that documentary is Michael couldn't play a fucking instrument to save his life. He didn't have to, but he's someone, <laughs> and, but he, he reminds me kind of of me like, yes, I can, I can play an in instruments, eh? but like, I feel a closer kinship to him because like when he's kind of explaining how to play like the simmer of like when to come in on the way you make me feel. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're jumping it. You got to let it build. You got to let it almost boil over. And then you come in and like, he's explaining like the nuances of the song and like basically songwriting. Yeah. And it's just this thing where like, to me, that's the brilliance of what made Michael stand out from anybody else is like, he can't play. He couldn't literally get behind the keys and tell everyone, okay, come in on the four, come in on the, you know, whatever we're playing in four, four we're playing in what, like he's, he's not going to be that guy. But yeah. The fact that he's, he's about feel, it's about how you feel and you know, when you got to come in, cause you're going to feel it. It feels like yeah. it's ready. Well, to me, well like, understand. It was just so profound to see that. Yeah. Understand this. And, and like, I think, I think this is what you're probably failing to see is that he, he grew up in a musical family where there's mm -hmm. like a million Jacksons and they probably studied music as kids. And anyway, it's a, it's the same effect that like what happened with the Beatles. Like they, they played so many covers to the point where they could write like hits like crazy. Cause they knew all the moves. I think right. when you're just surrounded and engulfed in music, you, your instinct actually just become like instincts of everything, like a, the database that's in your head. And uh, Michael probably just had such a great database in his head where he was thinking of like, he, in the moment, he, he was probably like talking about the song, but he was probably like, he was envisioning something from the 50s or the 60s or whatever it was that was in his head at the moment and like, you know, associating it with that song and just trying to articulate it with, you know hey no 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 do this because this is what i like this is what my brain gets off on and uh that's awesome because it's because it, that's when like that's the specialness behind music is when you've got someone that is not technically great you know at music or doesn't know how to play an instrument but they're like they're showing you like this is what makes me feel good and that's like the best kind of writing because it's just guttural and uninhibited it does make me wonder because I I don't want to keep you too much longer because you've already given me almost two hours of your evening before you got to like prep for a tour and all this shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, what you know, we're in the middle of a year. Uh, obviously, you're working on you know what will become whatever the Asley Dying record we hear whenever it's ready. Something I've kind of I was thinking the other day uh, of a conversation I had with uh, Kelly. 
Keller from X Chariot. Um, and he was talking about when he puts his kids to bed. Um, he always asked them what's their like favorite part of the day that they had. And I was just thinking about it the other day. And I was like, I should bring that back almost as like a, an ending point of the podcast. But like, how can I make it kind of my own? So I'll propose to you since I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, not on, on one of these, at least. What have you been excited about in the last, you know, half of this year? And what are you looking forward to in the next half that's got you excited? Um, well, I'll say that um, as as kind of the thing that's exciting to me is the 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 spontaneity of or the or the riding on 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 a on a whim of like not be, you know just doing a project that's not mine uh working on uh, an album that's not an unearth record uh not being just like being kind of like free to do whatever i want uh or independent you know minded is just like very nice to like not have to think about everybody else around me or owning something or running something or anything. I, I really do um, love the fact that I can look at other people who are carrying the weight of, of a project and be a help versus being the weight, you know, like being the person worrying. So um, I am, uh, I feel blessed that I have the opportunity to, um, I don't know how to explain it, but just, just help um, and not be, The, you know, the focal point and, and insert my talents where, when needed, uh, that's really like a great thing. I've made so many new friends, um, being a part of this band, um, and, you know, and, and doing a record with them, but I'm, I'm, I've turned over many new leaves in my life. Um, you know, I'm very happy that, you know, my family's still healthy. You know, I, uh, you know, it's a lot of talk about, you know, who I am as a person online. I, you know, I, I live, I live the dream. Like I bought, you know, my parents, uh, I bought my parents' house, uh, you know, like I, I bought a, um, an in-law for them and, uh, you know, and my brother and sister live all on the same street. And like, we, I have like such a huge Italian family. We own a cul-de-sac all together. And like, I live like a really charmed life. So I'm very grateful that everyone has their health. Um, you know, that I have new, uh, opportunities, uh, new band, new, new everything. And I, I, I just feel untethered by all the stuff that's just been floating around and all the past history and what people think of me or what I think of them or whatever. like, none of that matters now. It's just that like, I'm in my own little bubble and I get to do the things that I want to do and I get to do them every day. And, um, I'm very blessed to be, you know, under the wing of, uh, Larry Fishman at, uh, at Fishman. Like he's, he changed my life. Um, Mm that guy is, is, is a unicorn and, uh, you know, the COO, Jason and Brian Fishman, um, the, the, you know, people that run that company, they're truly great people. And, uh, to get all the, um, the world, like, Oh, sorry, the business, like, you know, uh, education that I got from them, I did go to business school, but like all the things I've learned from them and the negotiations and how to run a business and how to be a good brand manager and product manager, like all the stuff that like I've learned, uh, from one of the greatest people to ever exist in the industry has been, um, you, you can't buy, you can't buy that kind of, you know, that kind of exposure or that type of, uh, schooling. So, um, I, I get to do everything. <laughs> I get, I'm on both sides of the industry. I work with massive artists. I, I, I play in a great band and I get to play all the sports I want. I get to friggin', you know, record whatever I want. I get to do whatever I want. It's, it's just such a great feeling to be, like I think what people like, you know, 
those coaches that were, I was talking about online about, you know, being happy and figuring things out that you want or whatever. Like I, I truly am. I do believe that like I live a blessed life, like where I get to just about do anything I want. And if, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. I I, I don't care. <laughs> There's no better feeling. <laughs> no, it's definitely something that, I mean, for whatever it's worth, you know, you and a handful of people I get to call like friends that I, I see do these things. It's like, it's inspiring. Um, Cause I think it, it requires, it requires a shitload of work first and foremost. And then secondly, I think it requires a lot of um, kind of being humble uh, because you, you don't get these opportunities if you're a fucking dick bag. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, so that's the weird part. I, I, I tell myself all that. Yeah. I say that to myself all the time. And then I'm like, wow, people still talk shit about me online. That's crazy. Like, I guess <laughs> like how, how did I do anything being this terrible as a person? Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe just in a past life, I was canceled already. So maybe I just missed the canceling. I have no idea. (laughs) No idea. Um, (laughs) last question for you. Where can everyone find you or anything you would like to plug online? Uh, yeah, you can find me, uh, you know, Fishman, anything related with Fishman fluence. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ken Susie Facebook. I believe I'm just Ken Susie. Just literally, I'm probably the most, uh, you know, around person you'll ever meet <laughs> so <laughs> if anybody needs to get in touch with me there's there's ways i miss the good old days when it used to be bukakin i know i know i know i when i when i when i worked for fishman i i had that tag and someone's like hey you might have to change your name and i was like oh yeah you're probably right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh. like it was i had so many good ones too like i wanted to like be like um vladimir poontang at one point and then i wanted to be a uh, <laughs> alfred shitcock and uh i i had a bunch of plans for instagram handles but uh they didn't they didn't really pan out because uh fishman really made me an adult <laughs> well i mean those are new working titles for uh sweatpant boner albums or song titles <laughs> oh yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> i have i actually if you do see another uh sweatpant boners record i I'm going to save it. I can't tell you now, but you'll be, you will be the first person to know. I pretty much have the greatest like comedy records fucking like title ever of all time, probably just sitting there waiting. So hopefully I can convince Robbie to name the the first EP or record <laughs> that. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, looking forward to hopefully getting to do uh, this off record in person soon. Uh, obviously I assume a lot of that's going to be contingent on whenever the record is done, but um, need to hang soon and enjoy an adult beverage or two. Yeah, it's a, it's always great seeing you, and um, definitely uh, I'm looking forward to probably talking to you in a week when I have either a death threat or some shit talk on so, some site and being like, I didn't think I said anything that bad, you know, <laughs> that conversation. So yeah. uh, it is what it is, dude. I'll, I'm sure I'll talk to you in less than a week. <laughs> I'm probably going to send you a text as soon as we're done with this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Listen, brother, love you and uh, love all your listeners. Thank you so much for having me again. Okay. So that was my conversation with Ken Susie again of Esley dying X on earth. So many other bands. Fishman uh, is a, basically a brand. Uh, I don't really remember if it's like brand manager or what is his actual job title is with Fishman, but uh, I think most people who know of Fishman probably know of it because of Ken at this point. Um, Dude has just done so much work uh, to help that brand. And I mean, honestly, it is one of the reasons that I ended up getting a set of Fishmans. 
I mean, some of my favorite players who have long been playing EMGs uh, in their guitars, especially most artists who were signed under uh, ESP guitars and so forth, like EMGs are kind of the ones that come stocking a lot of them. And it was a thing where seeing a lot of my favorite guitar players making the switch, uh, talking about how you just notice the versatility right away. Honestly, it made me go buy a set and put a set into a guitar. Um, and I really wasn't... I didn't think anything was going to top one of my, like my main guitar. And I will definitely say that the one with my Fishman's in it is my go-to guitar. Now uh, the rings true, the versatility of, you can hear it. Uh, if you're a guitar player, it's not even a plug uh, for Fishman. It's just the truth. Um, I am someone who, when I find something I like, I am very, very stuck in my ways. Um, so the fact that there was a new guitar pickup company that came through and I think has exceeded my expectations of what you can do with pickups. Um, I would definitely say if you have seen Fishman, you heard about them or you've wondered, get a set. I, that's all I can really say. Um, all of that said, all of that shilling said, um, it is a thing though. I did want to kind of talk, as I was saying at the end of the intro, you know, talking about people who, um, you know, this, this philosophy basically that people don't have to put in the work anymore to, to be successful. And, and I, for lack of a being an old man, get off my lawn type fucking moment here. But I, I do feel like there is something kind of inherent in, in the new generation, maybe where it's that we want things without putting in the work. Uh, we want the accolades. We want the, the knowledge. We want to just be able to be great right away without really putting in the work or putting in very minimal work and getting all of the reward. And it's something where like, I just, I don't know, delayed gratification. Like it's something that is something I've always kind of believed in. Like I, I have joked in recent years, like I hate the fact that I'm as old as I am and that I grew up with, uh, you know, parents who were instilled a hard work ethic and, and having, you know, good moral values and stuff like that. Because I feel like in this day and age, it's almost a, a detriment. And then I meet people like the people I've met through doing this show and and even just in my life, my actual life, like people who live here that I hang out with. And I'm re I realize that those ideas aren't so scarce anymore, that there are a lot more people who believe in the good um, of people and understand that like people that have something you want or whatever probably had to fucking earn it. I mean, my wife and I have had a conversation recently. You know, she just bought a new vehicle, and it's a vehicle she's been wanting for a long time. And she finally got one. And it was the thing where she was just like, I remember when she got it and we were driving it home. I was like, can you believe you finally got it? And she was like, I, I can't. And I was like, well, I mean, believe it. You fucking worked hard. You've been at your job for almost 14 years. You've worked your way up. You've, you know, done really good work. Like, this is what it's all for. I mean, what is it for? Like, what is all the hard work for if you don't get to enjoy the fruits of your labor, the sacrifices you've made and stuff like that? And I know it's a fucking car. And I know that at the end of the day, it's it's not, you know, it's a thing. You don't need it necessarily, but it's a, and especially the one that she got. But it's like, it had all the things she's always wanted. Every time she got a car, oh, I wish it had this, or I wish it had this. And now she has a really nice car. And... It's nice to me to see that like her hard work and sacrifices has paid off and she's able to get the things that she has wanted and enjoys. And 
in the same capacity scene when seeing someone like Ken, you know, with what he does. You know, that's why I wanted to kind of bring to light a lot more of the human side of Ken and something that I think was really interesting. And I really do hope that, like, headlines aren't made, like, headlines that are not really what the conversation was are made. Because there's something, and I thought about it after we were talking uh, and we were done with the episode, but, you know, like the question I had asked about, like, what is it like, you know, spending 20 years in a career building something from the ground up with, with your best friends, your brothers, basically, and on earth, and understanding that at this juncture in your life that it no longer, that it's not where you, you want to be or need to be, that there's another calling that's pulling you somewhere else and it's... And it's going to afford you new opportunities and it's going to challenge you in ways that you haven't been challenged yet or in a long time. And I think that just as a, as a human being who, when we get older, there's something to be said about staying comfortable, staying in your routine, staying in your normal, because it is that. It, there's a comfort in it. But when you decide to step away from that and kind of go do something new... I mean, I'm kind of going through it right now where in a weird way where it's like I'm I challenge myself to do something new, but I'm going back to something that I have done, but I'm doing it in a new thing. And it's a whole new skill that I have to learn. And I'm kind of afraid. uh, I'm nervous. And I know for me, like going through this in a very smaller scale where no one's really paying attention to what I'm doing. What is it like for someone like Ken who's going through this thing, being roughly the same age, on a professional level where it's like, what does that look like? How do you how do you navigate that? Are you even aware of it? And I really do hope that people, when they listen to the chat, that they understand that I'm not being malicious with my question. I'm not trying to make Ken say some horrible thing about his friends. I want people to listen to it and to understand that no matter where you are in your life, if there's something and you feel like it's just not where you're meant to be anymore or that you want to challenge yourself to something new, go for it. That you won't you won't know until you go and, and challenge yourself and do the thing. That it's okay to do those things even when you're well-established in something. Um, it's the whole point of life, I think, is, is to challenge yourself and, and gain new experiences and just always be seeking to be better. Um so I want to thank Ken for for spending two hours talking with me. I want to thank you again for another long-winded episode. I, the last three, basically, have been two-hour chats. And uh, based on some of the numbers I'm seeing, it seems like you guys kind of like some of these longer ones. Um, so I'm really thankful that you all take the time to listen to me and, and my friends uh, converse and just kind of check up on each other and, and talk about life and where we're at in it. Uh, starting to wrap up this episode, if you would like to keep up with Esley Dying, you can find them on Facebook at Esley Dying, Instagram at Esley Dying, and Twitter at Esley Dying Band. If you would like to keep up with uh, Ken's other band, Swivel, you can find them on Swivel Official on Facebook, uh, Swivel underscore Band on Instagram. And I didn't find a Twitter for them, um, so maybe they don't use that. And if you'd like to keep up with Ken, you can find him on Facebook at Ken Susie or on Instagram at Ken Susie as well. If you want to keep up with the podcast, you can find us simple enough at Bruce Speak Pod on all of your social media platforms. You can email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. 
And I want to thank our sponsors again for their continued support. Uh, go support them if you are able to. Rockabilia.com. Use our code BREW10 at checkout. Take 10% off your total purchase order. Go pick up some of those uh, new ghost ghoulie shorts, I believe is what they're calling them. Ghoulie instead of booty. Goody. Ghoulie. I don't remember. Uh, it is. I remember seeing it and think it was very funny. Um, and Starving Artist Brewery as well. Um, I think in light of this episode and in general, uh, it's their message of judging beer, not people, uh, something I, I highly latch on to. So uh, go support them, throw them a like, whatever, support the sponsors for supporting us, me, whomever, however you want to express the collective myself, we of the podcast. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I'll talk to you all next time. Have a good rest of your week.